This is Cinema Degeneration. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. We're not that different, Dick. I do not enjoy killing, but it's my job. Someone has to do it. Maybe. Me. The hobo with a shotgun. He didn't just eat their bodies. He ate their souls. And I joined in. I'm gonna sleep in your bloody carcasses tonight! I suggest aspirin for the headache. What headache? I'm surprised you don't have a grenade launcher. Couldn't get a permit. Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. <laughs> I unloaded a foot clip 450 Magnum point blank it disappeared he can hear its heartbeat where did he go he knows it's out there. Somebody must have seen something. He knows what it can do. You're telling me there's something running around loose in this city, ripping the hearts out of people and eating them. Maybe he eats them for breakfast. Now it's really pissing him off. Foster! And his new partner. I work alone. Makes two. Paranoid people with guns are a menace to society. You'd be paranoid too if you had a dipshit like this following you. Stuck up nonos and serial homicide. Oh, terrific. It has no motive. The only thing we know for sure is that he's not a vegetarian. No! It has the DNA structure of all its victims. It gives no warning. You're ready to die. But one thing's for certain. We gotta get bigger guns! It ain't no pushover. Two, yeah! Bingo! We wanna get to Cannon Street. <laughs> no, you don't. Yes, we do. Boy, are you pushy. I wouldn't say this thing thinks it's Satan. I'd say it is Satan. Satan is a deep shit. Alrighty, folks, welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month. 
and we have an interesting oddity for you this evening. Uh, this is one that uh, I thought I was alone in the world in, in loving this movie, and then come to find out as I was uh, proposing the idea of a Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month to all my co-hosts and friends, and almost everybody under the sun chose this movie, so I had to narrow it down to a couple because when you're talking more than like two, three people, it gets to be a little bit chaotic, but this movie is a whole lot of bit chaotic, and I'm talking the 1992 action sci-fi extravaganza split fucking second, and this is uh, this is a guilty pleasure of mine, and I usually don't use that term often. I use I usually don't believe in it, but uh, for the longest time, it was a guilty pleasure because I thought I was the only person in the world that fucking loved this movie. But I have two other people with me this evening, two other good buddies of mine. That also love this movie. One Corey Dawson. How are we doing? Doing good, man. Uh, I'm I'm feeling great about uh, everybody, uh, people coming out of the woodwork for this movie because I've. It was definitely one that I kind of ushered people towards, and I, I'd like to think that I was part of the uh, a little bit of the madness on that. Right on, right on. And my other good cohort in crime is the ever present sequel to Deja Vu co-host. Eric Phillips, how the hell are you? Doing good, doing good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Right on, right on. I'm glad I could bring the three of us together for the first time ever uh, roundtable discussion between the three of us. And uh, I know you guys are used to more of a one-on-one -on -one kind of, uh, you know, way we usually do things around here, taking a deep dive discussion on these things. But uh, just for sake of not jibber-jabbering all over the place and talking over each other, we're going to have a little bit more structure. So I have a, almost like a bit of a questionnaire because as we, got, as we found out even off the air, we'll just jibber-jabber all over each other, man. I know that sounds a lot dirtier than I anticipated or intended. But, oh, you know, no, it, it doesn't. Oh, no, it doesn't. It's just that dirty. It, is just <laughs> it sounds like just the regular Thursday with the boys. <laughs> Oh, but I'm glad you guys are here with me, uh, joining me for Split Second. This is uh, my all-time favorite uh, Rucker Hauer movie, and uh, you know it's not even it's not even my favorite Rucker Hauer performance. But there's just something I love about this movie, and it got that it just gives me goose pimples all over. But I'll give the quick IMDb synopsis and a little bit uh, cast and crew, and then I'll start right in with the questioning. So buckle in. All right, Split Second from 1992 is as follows. In a flooded future London, Detective Harley Stone hunts a serial killer who murdered his partner and haunted him ever since. He soon discovers what he is hunting just might not be human. And this was directed by Tony Malum, who went on to do a bunch of music videos. He didn't do a whole lot of feature films after this. I think his next film after... Uh, Split Second came almost 10 years later, but he did a bunch of commercials and kind of music video type stuff. And uh, not much, much after this. Gary Scott Thompson, whoever, who was the writer on this film, went on to write one of the, the longest running franchises of today. Not one of my favorites, but one of the longest running franchises ever, Fast and the Furious. He wrote the Fast and the Furious franchise. What? Yes. Same writer. Oh, shit. That is fucking crazy. Yeah, he also wrote uh, two sequels to the K-9 films, K-911. We'll try not to hold that against Oh, my God. And K-9PI. He also wrote the uh, Time Cop sequel and The Hollow Man. 
uh, which I, I kind of like Hollow Man 1. Uh, I also wrote 88 Minutes with Al Pacino, amongst others. A lot of TV work. Knight Rider, the TV series. Las Vegas, the series. Taxi Brooklyn, uh, amongst others. But uh, but this would also co-star. It stars Rooker Howard's Detective Harley Stone. Kim Cattrall as Michelle. Alistair Duncan, Neil Duncan, as he was credited during this film, is Detective Dick Durkin, the most unfortunate uh, character name in the history of mankind, Dick Durkin. It's just not, not, <laughs> it's not a good uh, I totally think that that's where they got Dirk Diggler from. Yeah, it's they definitely a poor name. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's more like a stunt cock name, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Huffa! He's the Huffa! <laughs> uh, but we'd also would have Michael J. Pollard, great character actor, as the rat catcher. Woo! Pete Postlewaite as Detective Paulson, and Alan Armstrong as Chief Thrasher. I love the Chief. He's not in the movie a whole heap and hell of a lot, but God, do I love the Chief. He's he has that moment in the middle where he just goes off when they tell him that is the. The killer just might be Satan, and he has this, this scene where he just loses his shit. Like, what do I do? Put on an IP, babe. A guy with cloven oh, hooves that looks like Satan. And it's the oh, name of Satan. Hold on, hold on. I can do this line because it's my favorite line from the movie. What am I supposed to do? Put on an APB on some fucking guy. Answers to Lucifer. Looks like the devil. <laughs> I suppose he's got two fucking horns out of his head and a long tail. You pair of pricks. Yeah, that was great. You can't see yeah. it right now, but not only am I clapping, I'm bowing to you, sir. I love wow. that line. He, that he line just makes completely me loses like a school. He, just that loses line, shit. he does. That line makes me giggle like a schoolgirl every fucking time. <laughs> He's great. I think if there's any one crime in this movie, is that he is severely underused because he is great. Other than his unfortunate hairline, he has one hell of an unfortunate hairline for that. Well, that I totally thought that's what you were going to tell me. I thought you were going to say the Japanese version had like an entire subplot with him in there. Well, the the Japanese cut. Um, I'll say this. I'll give a quick little tidbit. I wanted to have a bigger segment. On the Japanese cut, I watched it on the MVD Blu-ray set that I got, and on there they have the extended Japanese cut. You can watch the cut scenes, you know, that that are sold just to the, the Japanese cut, or you can watch the whole Japanese cut all together. I decided to watch it all together along with the regular version. Um, there is a character named Robin that is Durkin's fiance that he talks about during the film. When he talks about how I have sex every night before I run five miles every, you know, five miles every morning. And she, she pops up as a character. They go to get her out of the apartment and get her into safekeeping after Michelle gets kidnapped. And it's just not an interesting character. She's a bad actress. Uh, it's really out of place and it doesn't belong. And the scene is way, way too long. And there's a scene with uh, Durkin talking to her on the phone that is also very weirdly, oddly out of place. The cutscenes, the couple little tidbits that are just mostly shots of them driving through the city, running through the water, and add nothing beneficial. The only thing is there's a random priest death that's awfully bloody and gory, and that's like the one sole cutscene that I wish they would have left in. And the rest of it was just very superfluous. It's a clear-cut case 
uh, they made the right decision to cut those scenes. And oh. it's unfortunate. I was kind of hoping for a bit more, but yeah, I wish I had something better to to report back to you guys, but I do not. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but the Japanese cut is a... Well, oh, wait, 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 wait. There is some redeeming value to it. There is some. You do get that one cut scene that you wish you would have put in the movie. Mm-hmm. And let's 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 face it. Look at the original VHS box cover of Split Second 1992. If you've never seen that movie before and you picked it up, it ruins it right away. It the spoilers right on the box. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's the one thing I have a big problem with that they should have just like cut the creature standing behind Rooker Hauer and just had him standing there with that big Gatlin you know, fucking 12 gauge shotgun, you know, but my point to that is the MVD version and the Japanese, that Blu-ray cover is beautiful. That is some beautiful. Yeah, it is. And there's a lot of great extras on that. There's a great commentary track with, uh, Neil slash Alistair Duncan and the producer of of this movie. Uh, it's, it's, you know, the, I'm just saying the Japanese cut, just left nothing to be desired you know that one scene was okay there's a lot of great making of there's interviews with rucker hauer and kim cattrall and everybody else involved and tony malam a lot of great extras in there but just the japanese cut itself i was just like ooh, i was like what are we gonna see what are we gonna see and it's just like eh, nothing nothing really worth writing home about although i did finally notice that this time watching the behind the scenes stuff that Steve Norrington, who went on to direct movies like The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, Blade, uh, Death Machine, and... uh, But Steve Norrington was the special effects creature uh, effects artist in this movie. He's one of the first things he worked on, so I thought that was uh, interesting to kind of note. I was getting a little bit of a Death Machine uh, vibe off of this. I... I've only because I try to when I find Brad Dourif in something I I usually try to watch it. For some reason I I don't think I've ever watched that at, at a stretch the entire movie, but I've watched like bits and pieces here and there of Death Machine, and I really had that feeling about this. So maybe that's I don't know maybe that's part of it. Yeah, well I mean he was a heavy uh, special effects artist, so his uh, his thumbprint was. Uh all over this and it was all over this stuff and i think he directed death machine was his directorial debut was two or three years after this so might have been a little uh bleed over there but uh, i'm gonna get right into my first uh, round of questioning and uh eric i'm gonna kick it to you first i want you to first talk about a, a summary of the film and what and you know some of your favorite bits and bobs and why you like the movie so much and maybe your first impression of when you first watched it, and give us a little story, if you have one, of when you first watched Split Second. Okay, well, in order to, to, to give you my synopsis of the film, i got to tell you how I saw it first, because that's, that's really what made this movie for me. And, you know, like I said, I grew up broke as shit in the 80s when you had to friggin' walk to the video store to get rentals, and the video store had very few selections on uh, what you could rent back then. There were no blockbusters and, you know, there were no Netflix and any of that, you know, and VHSs were costing $50, $60 a pop back then. So whatever you had at the rental store, you were lucky to get. And uh, my dad would go out, rent movies, record them, 
all the damn time. So by 1996, uh, when I first, you know, got introduced to who am I called my father, uh, he had this big, huge collection of movies on this fucking beta tapes, which was odd to me because who the fuck collects beta? <laughs> you know, VHS is the way to go until I saw the fucking Sony Betamax machine and what it could do. Because, yeah, copyright infringements. We can make our tapes so that nobody can record them. Yeah, unless they record them on a Sony Betamax Pro that can get rid of that shit. (laughs) (laughs) Which which my dad figured out because he was a fucking genius when it comes to fucking media. And so one day we're having supper and he goes, go pick out a movie. And he's like, you know what? No, screw it. I'm going to do it. Grabs a movie, puts in split seconds. And I'm watching this movie. And the whole entire time, I'm thinking it's this thriller, like, cop, buddy cop movie. Kind of like, it's like, they kind of borrowed from Dirty Harry a little bit. He's kind of a loose cannon, da-da-da. And you got this straight-laced paper pushing fucker following him around, trying to, you know, see what his ordeal is. Maybe get him back in line. Maybe try to get him a new partner and get him off the rails. And then... The fucking movie makes a beeline and this fucking shit where you fucking see these monstrous teeth and this thing has to be 10 foot tall to put on the ceiling what's on the fucking ceiling, (laughs) which is a fucking bloody mess of a fucking astrological (laughs) symbol fucking. So you're like, I'm sitting here going, what the fuck is going on in this movie? (laughs) Jesus Christ. What is this? I, I still then, think that. I still think that. Right? <laughs> and the movie ends up ending, and I and he gets through it, and like I'm blown away by this thing, and it, it affected by it so much that I watch it constantly to the point. And my dad is one of his favorite movies as well. We watch that movie so often that we had to go back out and rent it again to re-record a new copy because the fucking tape Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Damn, so you wore it out. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and my dad had a fucking sound system, by the way, that could fucking the neighbors down the street wet the bed. It was so loud if they wanted, if he wanted to turn that son of a bitch up full blast. So, like, when we talk about quality at the time for audio and video, my dad didn't fuck around. <laughs> He can make them feel that heartbeat that's laying over yeah. about 90% of the soundtrack. Oh, I'll tell you what, man. When he put in the surround sound and had it hooked up with the equalizer and the friggin' the shit and everything, man, he put in Star Wars one day, and it was just the sound quality was nuts. Like, laser blasters on the left side of the screen sound like it was coming from the left and the right, and it was, it was just the mix. It was nuts. It was theater You could hear Carrie. You could hear Carrie Fisher's thighs rubbing together under that. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I think she just got moist. I heard it. I specifically heard it. <laughs> I'm gonna That's... kiss my brother. I'm gonna kiss my brother. <laughs> Help me, Obi Wan. Help me, Obi Wan. Jesus. Oh, well, yeah, good. yeah, but 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 George knew what he was doing when he wrote all those movies. Uh huh. Yeah, sure right. he did, buddy. Sure he did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I digress. 
<laughs> well, we we tend to digress on the show, but that's all right. That's a great story, man. I love uh, it. I love it. Yeah. So the the movie ends. We wrap it up. We wear this tape out, and we have to go back and we record it. And uh, fucking this movie affected me so much to the to on a fucking level that I didn't even realize it until twenty years later when I'm a grown ass adult and I'm looking back at pictures. And like one of the things that I got off of that movie, and I'm straight up owned to this, is when I smoke cigars. I used to fucking light them with a fucking mini blowtorch because I thought that shit was cool. I went out and I specifically looked for a mini blowtorch that looked like that so that I could light my cigar with it. Now, I, I, got, I got a confession. I actually looked up at the time trying to find rah-rahs. I was trying to find rah-rahs chocolates until I realized they were just made up for the film and I was looking for, <laughs> we're looking for the bonbons. Something that did not exist. And I was so fucking disappointed. Yeah, I was looking for those chocolate rah-rah bonbons, and I could not find them. I was so disappointed in 92 to find out that they were not real. <laughs> this was this was years later, too, when I was a fucking goth kid in my fucking 20s, man. I had the fucking duster and the fucking glasses and fucking carrying this fucking blowtorch around. I looked like such a fucking chooch. <laughs> <laughs> but do you regret it at all? Do I regret it? Fuck no. Okay, good. And uh, I look back and cringe on it. <laughs> it. Might be a little cringy, but you don't regret it, and that's a good thing. It's a fucking regret. Life's too short for regret. I regrets. mean, I'm dark and mysterious. Woo-hoo. No, <laughs> just fucking depressed all the time, and I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> you look like that guy from Grandma's Boy. He was trying to get up against the wall like the Matrix. <laughs> no, I wasn't that fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. That's great. Well, Corey, I guess you're next up on the chopping block. Tell us about the first time you saw Split Second and your overall general impressions of when you first saw this movie. Well, I'm glad uh, I'm glad that my story is different because it could have just as easily been just like his, uh, except my dad, he he's the exact opposite. He had five VHS tapes that we watched when we went over to his house endlessly uh so he we didn't have that much of a uh a selection from him but i did have i think i've mentioned these saints these gods among men uh the guys from home video world on second street in aurora indiana my hometown they had the wall of horror and it was kind of like a mission impossible situation where they said you know we'll let you guys rent these but if your mom finds out, you stole it, and your mom's going to have to pay for it. So keep it on the down. Otherwise, you guys are busted, and we're not taking uh, responsibility for this shit. But in this case, it wasn't that. It was a home box office was where I found this. And back, uh, it was kind of like back when HBO was HBO. Uh, one day I looked up the old HBO sort of like logo machine thing where you would actually go inside the O and it was almost like you're inside the reel of a tape. And for, for me, it was like a ride. Every time that happened at the beginning, it was like a ride you were going into. But they had blocks where the a movie would premiere and then it would sort of be shuffled around, but it would be on at least once a week, sometimes more like three times a week, twice a day. And um, 
I was always an insomniac. I was always up reading or, or what have you, just brainstorming. And one night, because I, I had loved Rucker Hauer and everything I had ever seen him in. And by that time, you know, I had already seen him in Blade Runner. Because I remember once my uncle, who was a real square, like the squarest square that ever squared. But for some reason, he had us over one night. And we were way too young. We were way too young for this shit. And he had us watch Blade Runner and The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. And after that, not only was I like, fuck, there are good movies in the world. The second thing I thought was, right on Steve. What the fuck? I think you made a mistake, buddy. But it was a benefit to me. Because his wife was like a quiche bitch, you know? But um, right, I right. couldn't believe that she was invited by it. But basically... uh. Niles in Frasier, the, the Niles wife, his like legendary wife, who's like the, the chill queen of all time. That's that's what this play was about. She made like microwave sushi and shit. I don't even know what's up with that. But uh, she was the first person ever. Oh god. <laughs> that's a Hudson Hawk reference. But um Nothing she, sounds she was more the first disgusting person... to me. <laughs> she was the only she was the first person I ever knew that like put tofu into dinner. But um Anyhow, digression. Uh, I was up one night, and basically I just saw, like, Rutger Hauer, science fiction, murder. All right, I'm in. So I watch that movie, and I told every single person who got within arm's reach, who stayed still long enough, who stopped talking long enough, I told fucking everybody about Split Second. And they didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. There were some people who thought I was talking about Silver Streak. There are some people who thought I was talking about like, like as if it was like a video game, like pole position. They didn't know what I was even talking <laughs> about because I didn't want to give it anything away. Because like you said, like the the cover. Because later on, I worked in a bunch of video stores and I saw that cover. And had I luckily, I didn't have that cover because I watched on HBO. That would have given the whole fucking show away. But um, there are things that I've noticed over time. And one is, I, I really don't watch this as often as I would like to. I don't think I even have, I think my VHS that I had uh, ate itself. I, oh, I don't have no. any, I don't have any physical media of, of Split Second. Luckily, I think Tubi is like saintly. They got all kinds of good shit on Tubi right now. But, um, Amen, brother. Fucking yeah. A. I mean, I Less honestly. The at I, Tubi, they're, they're curating some great shit over at Tubi. I honestly wonder because, uh, they have a new feature where you can watch things at different uh, rates. So you can watch it at like 1.5 if you want to. I honestly think that Tubi is recognizing that there's a lot of reviewers that are watching their shit and they might need to go through it a little bit faster. That's my personal opinion about why they put that on there. I think that I think they're doing it for the reviewers, but um, so anyhow, I told everybody in the universe, my physical media is all shot. But there have been things that I've been uh, thinking of that I, especially with this rewatch, I honestly think that I loved uh, Leon's glasses in The Professional because of Split Second. They're almost identical. <laughs> they are, aren't they? Yes, I think they I even agree. have a red, a slightly red, reddish brown tint to them, just like his his do. Um, I always loved. I love the cross. Uh, I mean, with him, it's kind of even a little more than like suspenders. It's almost like a bandolero or, or like swashbuckle. Cause he's got the, like the dual uh, suspenders. Yes. Like yes. Belts. Um, and I always dug that look as, you know, 
even on like superheroes and like comic characters and stuff like that. I always wondered why he had shoulder pads in this movie, though. I don't know if they were trying to bulk him up a little bit because he did have a little bit of a dad bod in this movie, which with Rucker Hauer, I don't think he's ever been like the specimen. I think the closest to a physical specimen was later on Earth. But even then, he wasn't like shredded out. Like, uh, like no, no, that's never, never been quite his thing. But he does have one thing that uh, a bunch of those guys don't have. Like with, when you were saying like, or you guys were saying about the loose cannon ship that he's got going. What he's got going in this movie is not it's it's not an alien thing. You saw it a lot during that time, but I'm not so sure anyone went as far as he went in this movie, where it's like a lifestyle, the coffee and the cigarettes and shit. Where it's always the sugar. I I often wondered if he was if it was like a a self destructive thing. Is he trying to give himself awake? Is he never sleeping? You never find out, and you don't have to because it's like part of his everything. And when they when they showed that scar later on, I was like, "Ah, oh, fuck! That That's scar why. was heavy." Yeah, <laughs> that it was fucking heavy. That'll make you want to fucking eat bonbons and drink coffee because you're never gonna want to fucking <laughs> sleep. That's why he's so fucking loose, dude. It's sleep deprivation. Yeah, it, I I I love the character, and there's more stuff I want to talk about. I'm sure, I'll come up with a questionnaire, so I'm just gonna stop it right there. Right on, right on. Well, um, I don't know which question to go with next. Well, I should probably give my summary of this uh, first. Um, I've, I've already expressed my love for Split Second. I actually caught it during his brief, like, two-week theatrical run in the theater. I saw it. Oh, the, you lucky fucker. I yeah, saw it the first you. weekend. Twice. Twice. <laughs> in fuck fact, you. okay, I, I want to make, make a standing thing. I want to make a standing thing. If we ever find out about it being in like a repertory theater somewhere in like in the close proximity, if they're ever playing it out somewhere, I think we ought to go and I think we ought to record it. I'm, I'm all for that. If we find a place that's playing it, I'd be all for seeing this again in the theater. Oh, fuck. Or maybe yeah, we can even talk to. I guess we could talk to that place that you sent me the, the links for. They play like second run stuff, third run, five run, right? Yeah, they do all types of second run stuff. Or maybe even uh, maybe even check out wherever or like the stand, or that was that place, right? The stand, the Strand, Strand, Strand yeah. Theater, I think it was. But yeah, there's so, like a couple of drive-ins here close by too that play uh, second run stuff. There's uh, the one in uh, Starlight in Shelbyville, and there's a couple others. Uh, I caught it once at uh, I can't remember where. It, which theater it was it was one of the two in in uh, Maryville, indiana at the time i think it might have been the amc that was there at the time or it might have been lowe's that is both since uh both now closed down but i caught it first weekend went promptly the very next day to go see it i think i saw it on a friday night and then went to go see it again on saturday i was already a huge rucker Hauer fan with movies like the hitcher uh one to dead or alive escape from sobibor Blind Fury, Blood of Heroes, you know, I mean, a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Wedlock was another uh, straight-to-cable one that I really loved. I mean, I was already a huge Rucker Hauer fan, so I was already, you know, I was I was there from the minute go. And I, I love it. It checks every trope uh, of, like, dialogue down. You know, every trope is like, they say he's the best. Well, he is the best. He's like, this is your new new partner, but I work alone. I'll have you sent to the worst hellhole on this planet, worse than this place. We're not working together. We're not friends. We're not partners. 
you're a liability, you're a menace. He's like, I know. I'm like, everything is great. The fact that he just randomly talks to dogs, that he says, he's like, you've seen him, haven't you? The absurdity of him talking to these do- to the dog, the absurdity of talking to that little kid right before he ha- has like, like an anxiety-induced heart attack, it seems like, <laughs> you know, the, the the trope of having the new partner that just doesn't doesn't work. But he grows on you, you know. He grows on you much like he grows on stone. I mean, like really, a fungus. I, yeah, he's like a fungus, the fungus among us. The best line in the movie, though, is like when he says, "You get laid every night, but you run five mail, miles every morning." Durkin, You're that's sick. disgusting. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he embraces that rogue cop, that cop gone rogue, the mercenary cop that's got, you know, the bad habits. He smokes too much. He he drinks too much coffee. He eats too much junk food. He's got the worst, disgusting of all cop pads and seen in a movie ever. It looks like everything. Like he tells Michelle when he brings her in there, like he's like, "Hey, watch your jackets. I got a lot of greasy stuff in there." And it's like, "Yeah, but you got a lot of greasy stuff in there, Stone. A lot of greasy stuff." But, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. And it's so just fucking off the wall, bonkers crazy. I don't know that if I understand this movie any more now than when I saw it in 92. When I saw it in 92, I didn't understand it. I loved it. I didn't understand it. It's 30 years later. It's 2022. 30 years to the year later. And I still don't get it. Um, I, I have a, a bit of questioning that I'm going to pose to you guys later on. It'll probably be the last or the second to last question. So... I'll I'll leave it for that, but yeah, this uh, movie poses more questions now than it, uh, than it gives us answers. But I love it; it's it's fucking great. And to think they originally wanted Harrison Ford to play Harley Stone, and I'm just like, I cannot picture. Uh, and I'm like, uh, I, no boo. Yeah, it's like I, I I mean you know not that I think Harrison Ford would have been a bad choice, but he would not been the choice. It was there's only one choice, and that was Rucker Howard through and through. And I'll leave hey, it man. at that. Yeah, but I mean I saw this so much on on video when it came out. I wore out my VHS. There was a time when the DVD was going upwards of uh, eighty to one hundred and twenty dollars. The HBO home video release before they decided to re-release it on uh, Blu-ray and release it on uh, DVD again. You know, there was a period there where you couldn't find this movie. Yeah, and it, it was, was fucking one of the. Those were one of the movies that uh, when I was working at Replay. Split second came in, and I already knew. I fucking took it home. I didn't fucking let them know that it came in. I just bought it for the three dollar <laughs> movies that they regularly do. Because that was back with like Angus and fucking Shag and Drop Dead Fred and a couple other movies were going for like fucking couple hundred dollars on the internet because you couldn't what the fuck? get them. Yeah, you couldn't get them. They really had VHS releases. They didn't have a DVD release, and it was going into the Blu-ray era. It I was like admit, five I've, seen, or six. I've seen Shag many more times than I should have in my life. And I don't know that I've ever seen it other than once, <laughs> to be honest. I've seen it like twice. Oh, but Angus, I remember that. I remember Living in Oblivion being another one of those movies that just like had a VHS release, a Laserdisc release, and then that was it. That was all you could find it. I mean, when you can find a... a, a I found a still sealed laser disc widescreen version a split second for an even twenty dollars. Whoa! And, 
And I was just like, I'm saving this. This is never coming out of the shrink wrap. That is just going to like sit on that shelf in that little nice spot. And I'll, I'll dust it with a diaper every now and again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. He never touches it. He just rubs it with um, a diaper. Right. You know, what, you, know what the best, you know what the best part about keeping it in plastic is? What's that? You can take Reese's eggs and put it in a heart around it on the front. Like the fridge. <laughs> and let's talk about that a bit. Like, like, let's get off off of subject and off the questions for a second here. Did was it me or did like Stone really not have any game? His game was to take these melty, melty chocolates, put them on a heart on his already grease ridden, grimy. But she ate the had- fucker. She is so on him. She is so on him that she ate that fucker. I was amazed. I was just like, you got a a fucking astrological demon with like multiple DNA eating hearts all over the fucking place. No, no. The biggest science fiction was that she ate that fucking chocolate off the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a fucking truth if ever I heard one. (laughs) Oh, man. And like, and she still had, Kim Cattrall still had the same hairdo. That she had when she played Vulcan the year before, yeah, uh, yep. in Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, and it looked was better in this. Yeah, it's, oh yeah, she definitely looked better in this. Oh, okay, well let's go ahead and get to the next um, question I have here. Now I think we're all here because it's Rucker Hauer Month, but I got to ask the two of you if you have a favorite character and what that character might be, even if it's like a, a you know a supporting character or a sub character and this time i'll pose it to you Corey, first oh it's dick durkin out of the park um i i loved i always it was so weird because i always thought going in that with subsequent rewatches i would find dick durkin annoying he would seem like the pencil neck he'd seem like the whatever he i think that he stands out among all of those like you were talking about the trope of having like the loose cannon and then kind of putting the accountant with them and then it's like this big brouhaha and shit i think this is totally different because there's something that occurred to me this time that's never occurred to me before i think that dick durkin is just as crazy as harley stone except in a different direction because when you look at dick durkin when you look at dick durkin no matter what stone he never he's not like a sycophant he never ends up being that little uh, dog that nips at fucking Butch's heels. He's never like that. He never stops. He He's not necessarily always positive, but he's always there. But he's not so there that you can't get rid of him. And he's got, like, these weird attributes. So, like, he's not – I think due to the sex and due to the running, somehow he comes off powerful in a different way to Harley. So Harley can't quite squash him. Whereas you think that he would just like overpower him and squash him, either with his personality or his psychology, that he would just squash Dick Durkin. But I think that Dick knows that he's powerful in different ways than uh, than Harley is, and Harley cannot fucking stop him. And I've actually, and another thing occurred to me today, I have, uh, I have very, I have lethal uh, acquaintances. I know people who. Um, they've had bad home lives. They've been like, had, they had like special forces family that like trained them to kill. 
when they're a little, they're all fucking, they got, they got mental health concerns because of like all this PTSD they've had because they're family and shit. And I've actually experienced this thing uh, when Dick Durkin suddenly he has something in common with Harley Stone, which is he knows this fucking thing is real. It's even before he gets kind of like touched by it and stuff. He knows that it's real because he was in the, the morgue and he saw it. He shot it like it's right there. So then he kind of flips over and all of a sudden he's affected the way Harley is affected. I don't know why I keep calling him Harley. I, I would no, I would normally call him Stone. But um, I think that he was affected in the uh, He was touched by this thing. So then all of a sudden it clicks over into a different gear. And I'm sure you've been around when normally you're the voice of reason in the room. And then all of a sudden, or like, you know, you're not the one who drinks all the time. Your friend's the one who drinks all the time. And they're drinking their normal amount, but you get Blitzkrieg drunk. And all of a sudden they're looking at you like, dude, you got to settle down. <laughs> that and that is what that's what Stone has to become with Durkin because Durkin has gone he's gone off the deep end because of this new knowledge that he has and all of a sudden he starts sort of uh, he starts taking on like the iconoclastic stuff that Stone gets but then Stone clicks over too and he almost becomes not even like a protector it's almost like a father. It's almost like a brother. Like it's, it's weird the way it's kind of turned around with those two guys, but it seems really organic to me. Like it never felt fake to me. I was really happy that there could have been another stone Durkin adventure later. I wish there would have been. Yeah. yeah. I wish there would have been. All right. Well, that being said, uh, Eric, kick it to you next. So a favorite character and why Eric. Oh, I'm sorry. My mic was down. Oh, uh, shit. I, thought, <laughs> I, I was I taking thought a we, shit. I thought we <laughs> lost you. No, no, no. I put my mic up so that you don't fucking hear me coughing and gagging in the background when somebody's trying to talk. Uh, I said I was going to have to agree with Corey. Uh, Dick Durkins. Definitely the best. I, I agree with him 100% on the, the the thought of when you rewatch this movie, you really think uh, Dick Durkins is going to get on your nerves. But the more and more that you watch this movie and you get into this character, you realize is that uh, I, I definitely feel like I said, there's a lot of things that uh, Corey touched on that uh, I agree with uh, the mentorship between uh, Stone and Durkin. Um, when it first starts out in the movie, uh, he's this paper pushing, you know, he has a lot. You can tell that this guy does a lot of paperwork and studying and book reading and he's very book smart and probably hasn't seen a lot of action on the street versus stone who is a beat cop who has you know seen what happened before and now in 2008 what a bleak dystopian future that never happened uh (laughs) now there's this torrential flooding and city of endless night crime is obviously going to be up on the rise. Shit's going to be, you know, hitting the fan. The nightlife's going to be horrible at this point. And, you know, his partner has been murdered after he had an affair with his wife and then dumped her. <laughs> so, great friend! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The best of friends, right? <laughs> right? So, and this thing scratches his ass. So now, 
he's got this psychic link to this thing, but he doesn't know it. And he's been dealing with it for so long uh, that it's got him sleep deprived because he doesn't sleep. He runs on coffee and bonbons, sugar and coffee to fucking stay awake all the time. That's why in that scene, the only time that he probably sleeps is when she's in town to come over because she knows if he doesn't come over, he's not going to fucking sleep. <laughs> well, he actually says in the movie, he thinks it's been four days since he's last rested. You know, yeah, you, so, you start uh, hallucinating uh, uh, quite a bit after several right. days of not sleeping. So he doesn't know what this thing is. And that's another thing that I caught for the first time. He's never seen this thing until the very end of the movie. And I'll, I'll explain why. Um, but getting back to it beforehand. So he's got, he's been scratched. He hasn't seen this thing, but he knows it's affected. He's psychically linked to it. He doesn't understand what's going on. All that he understands at this point is that when that thing is around, he hears its heartbeat. And as the movie goes on and on and on, and he's chasing this, and this guy is following him. He's doing his best to get rid of Dick Durkin, but Dick Durkin is prevailing because he's so friggin' persistent in chasing stuff down because his pursuit of knowledge, he's trying to figure out what makes this guy tick and he's obsessed with it. And that's where Durkin's craziness comes in. He's, he's obsessive compulsive. He's got to know why stone is the way that he is because he's put on this assignment now. And as the assignment goes on and as the movie goes on and the more clues and things lead up and the more that's revolved, you get to the morgue scene, the morgue scene. Durkin shoots him, but Durkin also sees him. Yep. And yep. that's when Durkin goes fucking full tilt boogie or nutter butters or whatever you want to fucking call it. <laughs> we need and bigger fucking guns. We need bigger fucking guns. Big, big fucking guns. <laughs> I love when he gets to the part when they get to the armory and they, he's showing them all the stuff and he's like, this is a blah, 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 blah. This is a Uzi 9 millimeter. It's like, oh, no, 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 put that down. Oh. That's a megaton flash grenade. You could clear a jungle with one of those. Yeah, we need four of them. Like, we need two of those. We give me two yeah. of them. That's an assault shotgun. What do you need two for? <laughs> Well, Great uh, fucking line. What is this but, thing? A Sherman tank that you're after? Right. Uh, did you guys? Uh, did you guys know that? Do you, point, do you see him? That uh, I made it a point not to look up anything about this movie or do any kind of research at all. And I realized that the guy who's running the the armorer guy is Socrates. Oh yes. yeah, yeah, from Bill and Ted. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Yes, hundred percent. That's awesome. Good mention. Good he was, and he the, was also, uh, and also the, the head waiter in uh, Scrooge that serves uh, Bill Murray. The, oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah. Eyeball. <laughs> um, and I also noticed that the guy who runs the bar was the uh, pawn shop owner in Judge Dredd that sold um, Armand Asante the Dredd gear. Yep. Oh, yes, no sir. shit. Okay, now that I did not realize. He looked like he didn't age a day. He looked exactly the same. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I would have to agree with the both of you that Dick Durkin is a character that, I mean, besides Harley, I mean, let's face it, besides, you know, Harley Stone. Well, I, but see, that's the thing, though. I don't think you can have Dick Durkin if you don't have Harley Stone. I don't right, think you can right. do it. Let me get, which, which is where I'm getting to this. Uh, so Durkin at this point, seen him, goes nuts. Now Stone has to, because he has already been where Durkin is now has to mentor him into bringing him a little bit closer back to his humanity 
as much as he can get him to because he's got to fucking work with this thing now because he's going to be after him and then Stone got to work with him and he's obviously going to be keeping following around Stone so now he's a fucking liability so we get and more and more and more and then it gets uh is it Michelle? Is that her name? Kim Control's yeah. character? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, we get to where she gets bit. So now she's involved. So now they got to team up. And at the end of the movie, this is when Stone gets the fucking living shit scared out of him when he realizes exactly what oh he's doing with. That hand, that that hand comes coming up over. over his head. And it oh pulls the glasses God. up over his face and it shows his that eyes for so the first time. That is that the is most so brilliant shot. That is so the brilliant effective. shot of the movie. That is the money shot of the movie because the terror in Rudger Haller's eyes as those glasses come up is the fucking scene where he's like, holy shit. It's like, yeah, I might be in over my head. Because I, I don't think he he believed, you know, uh, I don't think he believed a bit, you know, up until that moment that this, you know, killer might actually be a creature. You know, like well, he, he was one point, brother. <laughs> yeah, but he does say at one point, he's like, you know, when, when uh, you know, uh, Durkin says to him, he's like, I don't think this thing thinks it's Satan. I think it is Satan. He's like, well, Satan doesn't deep shit. You know, he's just piling off one-liners one right after another after another. I don't think he really ever gives it a thought that this thing right might actually be the devil or a demon until he sees that hand come down over the top of his head. And it, it's not, it doesn't even grab the glasses. The barbs that are on the ends of his claws hook the glasses and pull them off his head. You could visibly see Harley's, you know, fucking skin just crawling. Like he's like, ah, my balls yeah. just crawled up three feet into my belly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know what else? He had that voice in the back of his head repeating what Durkin said in the morgue. That wasn't a he, it was a fucking it. Right. Oh, it's <laughs> great. It's, it's a great stuff. I, I, but yeah, I agree. I, I, I think, uh, Durkin's my favorite character. If I had for all the same reasons, so I won't reiterate the same things that you two fellows had just said. But it's because without you know without Durkin or without you know there there with you know there really is no stone. There's nobody for him to play off of. It's just him running through the city, a crazy man. He's got to have second somebody. Ch- <laughs> right. Second choice which would be Pete Passaway. Uh Pete Passaway is good. I I love uh, Alan uh, Alan. Armstrong, I think is how you pronounce his name, as Chief Thrasher, because he's just full of like you. Wait a minute, is his name Chief Thrasher? Chief Thrasher. Oh yeah, what an awesome name! (laughs) Alan Armstrong. Alan Armstrong. Yeah, he's uh, he's just great because he's as full tilt boogie nuts as, as Harley is. He's always so fucking high strung. You know, when he has that that bit when he's going off about, and he's like, you know, look, give an APB. Where a guy who looks like the devil answers the name of Lucifer. It's just on some fucking guy who thinks he's the devil answers to the name of Lucifer. <laughs> when he's going down that hallway and he's like, you know, people oh, are so walking great. into him and he's just like, get the fuck out of my way. To have you. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> you pair of bricks. <laughs> I mean, you, you could have called this guy for that, that, that last action hero chief. Like he totally embodies that whole thing. And every every cop in that whole place, except for Pete Postlewaite, totally respects Stone. They know he's a fucking lunatic, but they 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 cannot uh, sweat the technique. You would think there'd be more people who hated his guts in that office, and they do not. They totally look up to that guy. 
Yeah, oh, the yeah. blonde in the weapons cage is like fucking enamored by him. Like glad to see you, or she's like glad you're back or something, you know? Yeah, just, glad to see just you back. Moistness, moistness, yeah, drip. <laughs> because I mean, if you, you think can hear about her it, panties hit the fucking floor pretty much. When when Michael walks into a room, women smell chocolate chip cookies. When Stone walks into a room, they smell cigars and chocolate. I mean, what the fuck? Come on. <laughs> and raw sexual but, energy. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and let me ask you guys this: Do you think like that that he, that Stone was pretty much? on the verge of a heart attack this entire movie for as much coffee, cigarettes, and uh, chocolate that he was eating. He was so high-strung, like the part where he starts to hyperventilate and they, the, the, the EMTs knock him out. Like I, I got think a serious like, blue velvet uh, vibe off of that when he was yeah, sucking on that yeah. fucking oxygen. Seriously, <laughs> big time. Uh, now there's yeah. a fucking movie reference. Heineken, <laughs> <laughs> fuck that shit. Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> Daddy, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but I, but I, I do wonder though if he because something occurred to me also that with kind of like the the shift over, I think that at one point you realize that Harley Stone is fucking lonely because you would think that he would push her away. You think he'd put, uh, push Durkin away, but actually he is so kind, even though he's in like a shithole. He's so kind to her throughout that whole time. And also, like, I always talk about being a new dad. The time when I can sleep the absolute best is when I've got Archie on my chest. So I think that since she was there, something broke loose and fell away. I think he was able to to sleep because something kind of broke loose when she was there. I think that he remembered better times. He felt better stuff. Yeah, that's why I calm. think you don't really calmness, you know, for the first time. You think they said it'd been what four years? You think that they, you would hate this guy for betraying his friend and having an affair with the wife and breaking up with her? I honestly, especially since like in the subway after kind of like the electrocutioner thing they do, they kind of hit the deck and they they do not look at each other and hug. They are kissing, like on the way down to the fucking mud. They are kissing. So I honestly think that. They full. They loved each other when him and uh, and Foster, or when her and Foster were together. I think they were in love with each other. So I think that's why you kind of don't you don't see Stone as a piece of shit because it's all truthful. Like it's not his fault that his friend and his partner. It just so happened that it just so happened that they they were in love like so fast and so pure that I think that when it's all over. They're still there. That's why, like, she... I love that part where he comes in. Because, like, he, he's totally not trying to, to sneak a peek on her. And he opens up the thing, thinking she's going to be flayed apart. And she's like... Bah! And she's kind of like, what? It smacks him. And it's like, it doesn't even skip a beat. It was awesome. Yeah. That was such yeah. a thing. That's, that's a thing. That's a comfortability between people that I thought was really, really believable between those two. Well, yeah, another... It's, it's very truthful. Another part that makes it believable is when he asks her about uh, the old partner's mom, Foster's mom, and how she's doing. She's like, oh, it's still the same. I don't think she'll ever get rid of it, you know, get over it. And then what, a couple scenes later, after she gets bitten by this, like, fucking monster, and she's recovering, and she's at the house when she's, like, kind of freaking out, and she's washing her hands in the tub, and she's trying to wash the stink off of her. And she's like, Foster's mom killed herself. And it's just like, 
you know, he, you can feel like the, the loss right there. You can feel that, you know, the, the gut wrenching part of it is just like, you know, it was just enough to push her over the edge. Not so much just the fact that she got bit by the thing. And now she's got a psychic link to it. Uh, who would have yeah. thought that death, who would have thought that death would even impact this guy anymore? And it really does. It really fucking impacts him. When that girl's in the bathroom, he says, he says something like, oh, babe, he like lifts her head up. Like, there is a heart underneath that meat sweater covered in chocolate and coffee. There is a heart in there. Yeah, I think he feels every fucking person that he can't save is a loss. You know, it's not just a number to him. You know, people got him pegged wrong as this heartless guy. And not saying heartless because, you know, this guy, you know, the killer collects hearts. But, you know. But one thing we know for sure is that the guy is not a vegetarian. Uh, yes. oh, that was awesome. Although uh, I have to say, the one in the subway wasn't that great. No, relax, no. pal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. relax. Oh. But what are you gonna do? Well, is subway uh, food ever that great? <laughs> well, it was leaking, le- leaking uh, tall man blood there at one point. You know, it was, the thing had all the black blood in the world, but it was leaking yellow mustard out of its heart. I don't know. The, to, to each its own, but. Uh, I have a question that. Good. What's that now? I said at least it was stone ground. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It was golden. It oh. might have been grape palm. Stone uh, ground. But, I see what you did there, sir. Uh, I I had a question. Was there yeah. a hole in his chest before he reached in to get his heart? I always thought <laughs> or that did he there make was. It? I think it was because they had wounded him uh, point blank range with that that uh, that. Assault shotgun. I think it was already okay. wounded. I, I think so. Between right. the grenade and the shotgun. Yeah, they had wounded the shit out of that poor thing. They, he de- they definitely moistened up the meat shield a little bit. <laughs> well, I think that's definitely something when it comes to special effects. I think that something that makes something look so much more legit is to make it wet. If you look at the alien, it was always wet. Yeah. So when you look at this thing, it's constantly wet. I mean, as especially with everything being fucking man, I can only imagine because most of those things were sets, weren't they? The offices well, and whatnot. <coughs> it was all one location. A lot of it was a uh, factory warehouse district that had been closed off, that they closed off and and flooded and made to look Jesus. like you know the different areas. That was the majority of it. Yeah, I think it was probably accounted for about eighty percent of the shoot, from what I understand, the behind the scenes stuff. Fucking stink and mosquitoes, garbage floating in. Jesus, that would be a horrible shoot, man. Great and, and to be constantly yeah. running all the time, rain, getting rained on, running through water, wet, wet feet all the time. Imagine your your toes would start to web after a while. I think that he but, uh, anyway, anyway he had the best. I think that he had the best costuming for that because he was like leather from head to toe mostly. Yeah, Stone's outfit in this is just like the opening scenes. You know, you get that opening. Uh, that iconic hero super cop entrance of him walking all silhouetted, silhouetted against the, the backlit uh, area that he's walking out of, putting on the sunglasses, having his big weapon strewn over his shoulders. I mean, iconic hero, super cop entrance, man. I just thought of this, too, which is kind of stupid. It's supposed to be a city of almost endless night, so he wears his sunglasses at night. Well, because hey, man. he's cool. He's hardly fucking stoned. He, he can. His future is bright. 
He's got to wear yeah, shades. Yeah, he's going to wear shades. <laughs> okay. uh, but I, I did have a thought when he was going down that, that hallway. The first thing that occurred to me would be if you all of a sudden you see Arnold Schwarzenegger naked walk up to him and go, I need your clothes, your boots. Wait a minute, you're too tough. I'll find another guy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you hardly stoned? I did not fuck with you. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man. Terminator, since you brought it up, great story just for a little digression here. Forget the first time we got a big screen TV was it was like a thing to behold because we only had one TV before and it was a 13 inch and it had 13 oh, fucking boy. channels, the dials that you had to turn and shit. Like, this thing had been, this fucking thing was so old. It said Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> oh, damn. That's how old that fucking TV was. So we got wow. a big screen TV, and I hooked this son of a bitch up. And one of the first movies I saw on cable TV was The Terminator. And what do I oh, get man. on my first big screen TV? Is that back in the day they didn't fucking censor it because the TV screen was dark, unless you had a you big, got a big old TV. You got a Schwarzenegger yeah. dog. Fucking big old fucking baby's arm holding an apple, fucking swinging on my TV. It's like, ah! <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> I was eating cash. Swedish meatballs! All right. Well, next question. Getting back on tra track here with things. Uh, as I always do, there's a. I like to do what I call the what the fuck moment. As you know, as I always narrow things down to one what the fuck moment. So there's three of us. I'm going to say, what do you think is the ultimate single what highest what the fuck moment in this movie? And Eric, I'll kick it to you first. Oh well, that's that's a tough call. This whole movie is uh, a what the fuck moment. It, it really is. It's it's one what the fuck moment to the next. So that's why I figured this one is almost a trick question. It really is, man. Oh, I've definitely got an answer. I guess, like, if I had to narrow it down to one, the, the one what the fuck moment that really kind of gives you the chills if you if you submerse yourself into the lore and the knowledge of this movie's offering you is when Stone makes the reference to the killer's height when they're looking at the uh, Scorpio symbol inside of a water triangle blood-spattered painting on the ceiling that the killer leaves. And he's like, well, I wonder if he stood on the bed to paint it. Well, he'd have to be 10 feet fucking tall. So standing on the bed, he'd still have to be 10 feet tall to fucking paint that thing and reach it. So we're talking about Either something with an incredibly long reach or a fucking 12-foot behemoth. Yeah, that's a uh, that's pretty much it for me, too. 
Uh, Corey, what's your what's your ultimate what the fuck moment for split second? Well, when you when you said that, I was wondering if I could narrow it down, and then it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, the what the fuck moment for me, and even when I was a kid, was when you see Dirk and he's all tied up, and you see some blood on him, and then he's kind of like, yeah, and you can tell he's in shock a little bit, but you think it's shocked because of the, you know the whole situation about getting you know sort of abducted, and then he opens his fucking shirt up. And you see what it's done to him. I was like, oh, my God. Because, like, the, the scars on, on Stone's arm is one thing. But this is some serious shit on, on his fucking chest. All I could think about yeah, was, that, my God, you, that scar you know is going to be insane. <laughs> You're right. I'll tell you right now, he can never go swimming with a Pentecostal group ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that shit. was his every, that was his Wednesday afternoons. God, man. Hey, that's a mark of the devil. <laughs> Talk about fucking up your Sundays. Yeah, that's yeah. That's, that is definitely the best what the fuck moment, Corey. I, I, would, agree. I would definitely say, uh, but I thought that the gore effects, just like the just like kind of like the nudity, the nudity and the gore effects were kind of few and far between, but both of them were on par. Were were good, like. When you see the the handcuff over his head, that is so fucking chilling, and you see that so up close. They waited forever for you to, to even get. You never get a fantastically great look at this thing, which was like a great move. Um, but it seems well, they like go the, the aliens route with them. They always show them in shadows or in bits and pieces, so you never really see them in like full detail, which is great. Well, you know, I honestly thought is... that was the problem, but it wasn't. No, that, that makes it actually adds to the mystique of the character. Uh, the less is more effect because it really plays on your imagination. How you be, you see enough of it, like they give you a close up of the leg so you know that it's muscular. They give you a quick shot of the face so that you know that it's round and sleek and it has teeth, and you get a good up shot close to that hand. But the rest of it is very shadowy and it moves very fast, and it's just fucking creepy. Any yeah, word on who yeah. was inside the suit? Um, no I actually idea. have a couple of uh, names for you. Uh, the killer was played by two different people. It was played one by Paul Grayson and another stunt actor named Stuart Harvey Wilson. Which you know anytime they go by, uh, they include their middle names, they're probably a real-life ser- serial killer. So Steve, yeah. Stuart Harvey Wilson and Paul Grayson. Uh, both uh, stunt actors, both pretty big guys. Stuart Stuart Harvey Wilson walks up and goes, "Hey guys! Oh Jesus! Oh fuck! I thought you were like I thought you were holding up the roof. I thought you were a pole. What's up, man? <laughs> I thought you we're were on a support I, beam. I had something I wanted to add to the character. What if he drew out their astrological symbols and fucking blood? What do you think about that? I was thinking about using that. I mean, wait, uh, I mean, uh, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> oh shit." I, uh, love I don't Zodiac know if we can get that I mean, past the censors. Well, we could always do it in shit. Blood it is. Yeah. <laughs> All of a sudden, Bernard Rose perks up and goes, hey, I could put that in my next Candyman film. I love it. I love that. I love to go on with some multiple love today. Eh? There's a lot of poop in Candyman. You don't notice it at first, but oh, I noticed it. I smelled it. I smelled it in my smell of vision. 
<laughs> that's a, yeah, that's, that's a lot of shit. That's my uh, what the I, fuck I moment. I don't know if I can narrow down a, a what the fuck moment, but I'll I'll try and pick one. I think it's when because <clears throat> I still want this explained to me. This is a what the fuck moment because <laughs> the logistics of it I can't explain. Is the fact that the killer delivers a cooler to the middle of the police department with the half-eaten heart in it. When they open it up, the one guy's like, it's kind of cold enough to be full of beers. You know, and it's like, no, no, it's cold enough to be filled with a heart, a heart on ice. Like, I'm glad you brought that up. Who delivered really that? I'm glad you brought thing? that up. Because at one point, you actually see a blurry vision of the creature using a handgun. And you know that, or not a handgun, it was like the shotgun or something, or the machine gun. And then you know that he would have had to have driven that vehicle slightly. Yeah. So I think that this is the only film that I can remember where a creature like this is doing human things, but the whole setup is so fucking crazy that it that it doesn't stop the thing dead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the answer is in the uh, logistics of what we talked about. Well, twat waffle happened. Um, <laughs> good luck figuring out what we're talking about. Good luck figuring out what we're talking about. That's just between uh, us. Hopefully, yeah. we're not talking about Doctor Five's dog. Hopefully, Doctor Five's dog's name is not Twawaffle. <laughs> we we don't know that that's not what Doctor Five's called him in private. But that's not what we're I talking think, about. I think no. Doctor Five's dog's name number one is a cat. But I think that his cat's name is Charleston. That's what I think. Um, but as you there were you, you were asking, you, you know, why would it do that? Well, when they first made this movie, um, they set out to make a straight serial killer movie. And serial killers are known to delivering and teasing the cops. You know, the Zodiac killer sent puzzles and cryptograms, shit like that. So it's kind of taunting the cops. Catch me if you can. Um, and this time it just so happens to be a supernatural demon that's taunting the cops. Now, I, uh, some, I did remember I reading it at some point. <laughs> I, I can't remember what the original uh, name of the movie. I think Pentagram was one of the script's working titles, and that That'd it was good. Cool. And, it, and then, you know, that would have been uh, it. Would have kept things more mysterious. Like I kind of, I, as much as I love the movie itself. The, the the name split second makes no sense. It, it makes as much sense as the rest of the movie, other than you, you only know, see the thing second. for a split. You see that thing for a split second, and then you're dead. Yeah, but it's very thin. Yes, it's, it is. Uh, it's it's routine as fuck. <laughs> um, how I awesome were how we were talking about earlier? How I wish that the Japanese version would have had a subplot with the rat catcher guy. Something oh, just occurred to me. How awesome would it have been? If you found out that the rat catcher would have been the human agent, that would have brought the package to the place for him. That'd have been fucking amazing. Yeah, because, because that he would have had to have done that in in cover of darkness and cover of everything, and somehow just like set it out in front of the door and ran. Well, not only that, but it makes the aspect of the movie so much creepier that this thing has controlling and manipulating humans to the point that it can make them basically cast themselves into servitude for this thing.
Oh, I did find the alternate title when um, <clears throat> when Gary Scott Thompson had rewrote it because the original script was wrote in '88 and he called it Pentagram. When he rewrote Harley's it, Wild Ride. No, no, but close. No. <laughs> it was just simply they were simply going to call it Black Tide, which is what they were. The this is the version that was the most uh, closest to the final movie, and that's what they were calling it during production and midway through production. That's when they had the the shift in uh, production, and they called it Black Tide, and another director took over. And I think I like Pentagram movie, better. Yeah, Pentagram better, but I, I still like the version that we got because when Ian Sharp uh, picked up uh, directing the end of it, the couple of the other scenes that he ended up directing were the scenes with Michael J. Par- Pollard as the Rat Catcher. And I love the Rat Catcher. I think he's probably my second favorite character next to Dick Durkin, and he's in, like, one scene. You know I mean? Like, one I want to make a proposal. Yes. I don't think, I think a lot of people would call what Michael J. Pollard does as cameo. I disagree. I think that they ought to have a term that's just called a Pollard because if you think about it, he makes such an impact that people actually want more of him no matter what he's doing. So, like, if he's in Scrooge as like the homeless guy for two seconds, or if he's kind of like the cue to tur- uh, Tango and Cash making the RV for him with a Gatlin gun on the side or the minigun on the side. Everybody wants more of Michael J. Pollard and you only get a little bit, but it's not really a cameo because he's not like, he's not big enough to have a cameo, but for some reason, the credits, it says, and Michael J. Pollard. So I think they were trying to give him his props in this, but I mean, my God, he's in there for like, did you actually time it? It couldn't have been more than a couple of minutes. Yeah, it couldn't have been more than five minutes total. I mean, when he pops back up in the second scene, he's literally a corpse propped up against the door, and he just falls down face first into the mud. What is the tiniest, cutest little corpse you ever seen? <laughs> he's in slightly more of uh, this than he is in uh, House of Thousand Corpses, though. So he's, Jesus, you know. I totally forgot he's even in that. <laughs> yeah, he's in a little bit of everything. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, yeah, yeah. But that's uh, yeah. That's uh, that's my what the fuck moment is the right there. But anyway, next question. Next question for you, gents. What is your favorite? Now this is probably going to take some thinking, unless you got one already in the canon. What is your favorite and craziest line of dialogue from this movie? And Corey, I'll kick it to you first. Oh fuck. Um. Well, it's kind of tough because I think a couple of them have already been mentioned so thinking of one that hasn't been spoken of is kind of tough uh but i do like um oh well th- this is kind of weird because it's not just the line as much as it is the delivery uh there are better ones and you guys have already mentioned them and you might bring them back up again so i'm gonna go with this one and honestly i like i said i don't revisit this as much as i would like so i'm not quite as quoted I don't have as many quotes ready on this one, but there is one thing I do remember. And that is when uh, they go to this rare breakfast that, uh, that Harley is having and, uh, and Durkin realizes that Harley is giving him the rest of his breakfast and his eyes get so fucking big. He's just like, great. (laughs) Because number one, number one. And then when he eats it, it's almost like that. Have you seen that video of that kid who discovers bacon for the first time? Yes, yes. 
it's sort of like that. Of so I was getting so much from him when he when he took his first bite of this stuff. And it makes me wonder if this guy is eating celery sandwiches like every day, and all of a sudden he's getting this absolute rush of like the grisliest, greasiest fucking spoon shit that he could possibly have. So like it's almost orgasmic to him. And he's so happy. Because I, I will, honestly, with Dick Durkin's character, you would have thought he would have been like, no, I'm good. I had a tofu cracker at, at 3 o'clock. That's my normal regimen. I thought for sure he was going to be like, no, no. I, I, I licked a pickle earlier today. I'm good for the day. But he is so fucking happy. And he's like, great. Like, he is such a fucking... Because I want to say, I want to say, oh, my God, Dick Durkin's a dork. But he is not. He is absolutely a success. He gets laid every fucking night. He wakes up. He runs five miles. He does all this shit. It's like this guy is a success. So you can't really call him a fucking nerd. It's so crazy. I love Dick Durkin. Dick Durkin for Emperor of the fucking Universe. And Eric, kick it to you next. What's your favorite line of the movie? The mic is up again. <laughs> Sorry. What was that you said, Corey? I was going to say, I would think that it would have to be your your fantastic delivery of that quote. That It, ha- it would have to be that. <sighs> you know what, though? I thought about it, and I was like, well, what other line is so great from that movie that I can really enjoy that hasn't been said? And there is one that I also thought of that is my, probably my second favorite line in the movie. And that I can't remember exactly where it is. But I think it's in the bar scene as well. And it is Stone going, what does it remind you? What is it about you that reminds me of my mother? He goes, maybe it's my charming personality. He goes, my mother was a lot of things. She was not charming. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a great one, too. Although, you know what? You know what? Wait a second. I think I might have a second contender. I also also like it when he looks at the, the Rottweiler and says, police dickhead it shows him as bad i also like that one or when he goes back to the scene and he's laying in the blood and he leans up and he's talking to the dog he's like you can see him i can see him that also means i'm not nuts and he looks at the guy and he's like what are you you know the guy's like what are you doing he's like sorry i was talking to your secretary you must be sick laying in fresh blood I, I think my uh, favorite is probably uh, a almost blase uh, exchange, but it's just once you get to know the Stone characters, it's that much more impactful when he goes into the club and the waitress is like, hey, what do I get you? She's like, you got coffee? It's a two drink minimum. Drink. He's like, well, Bring then me get me coffees. two coffees. Extra sugar. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, well, this guy's a hard ass. Yeah, the dystopian future, as uh, Eric put it earlier, of 2008, that just never really seemed to happen. I dug the, uh, I'm wondering, though, where the where that speedboat comes in. They're totally, like, rocking away at that in that speedboat at the end. Yeah, I think that went, it might have led into the, the second tale that we just never got. Fuck. Can you imagine, like, the Miami Vice of, of Harley Stone and, and him? Oh, I do have one question though. Does yeah. either of you does either of you have the black mask mantra memorized that he says when he's walking through the subway and falls down into the hole? No, because I, it's a I, it's, it's a direct takeoff of the Green Lantern 
motto. It's something yeah. like when you it's something like you can never you can never fight. He he's always in the fight. You can never test his might. You can see the light with black mask or something. It's it's crazy. And he just like <laughs> totally falls in a hole. But they only bring it up for a second. He shows that he like reads those comics. They never bring it up again until he says him, like the motto. I remember him referencing the black mask several times, but I, I sort of remember that. It's very quick. It's <laughs> it very is. quick. It's it's like he's muttering it under his breath is what memory seems to. And it made me think that he says it every time he's nervous. But you right. hardly ever, you really don't see him nervous a ton in this movie. Right. That's, that's his neurosis playing in on it. Yeah. It's really. Whoever wrote the script originally wrote it brilliantly done, and then they friggin' they got three quarters of the way into it, and it was great, and then fucking somebody took over and was like, yeah, throw a supernatural element into it. And like, huh? <laughs> and, but it turned out, like I said, this is the one time where corporate meddling in the boardroom actually kind of turned into this gem that, you know... This movie has layers, just like a big cat. Yeah. Well, did you guys know that this movie is uh, a favorite of one David Fincher, and he said that this was a big influence on his vision for Seven? So without really? this movie, that the, wow. said without this movie, there would be no Seven. That's Whoa, crazy. That is awesome, man! What a fucking that is a serious recommendation by him. Yes, yeah, seriously, that that puts us in good company. Yeah, exactly. I, I you actually, know what? I, I, I normally find a, David Fincher to be stuck up, so I thought that's a very cool thing for him to have said. Because I mean, Liam Neeson completely disowns Darkman, and I hate that motherfucker for that. Yeah, fuck Liam Neeson for all. That's the movie that made you, bro. Now that one I can quote. I can quote that movie almost verbatim. So yeah. yeah. You could probably have a pretty damn good uh you could probably have a damn good uh Liam Neeson uh appreciation because next of kin is fucking insanity, man. I, you know, I have not seen Next of Kin for probably twenty five years. That's been a long, long time. That is uh, a hell of a crazy concept. Yeah, Liam Neeson is a Cajun. Well, it's like, hi, you got Liam Neeson, Bill Paxton, and Patrick Swayze as brothers. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. Hollywood missed an opportunity. If they wanted to, when they made Cape Fear, when they remade Cape Fear, Robert De Niro is good and all, but I think Liam Neeson would have made the better fucking choice for that role. Wow, yeah, I never thought that. Fucking thought. I thought you were going to say him as uh, Nick Nolte's character, but I'm no, like, that's yeah, not I a crazy see. thought. I will give you a crazy thought sir these are the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools now when you were a little kid everybody at one point in time had that fucking fear of a monster under their bed or a monster under their closet am i right right yeah hell okay. i'm still afraid of my closet well see now i'm no longer afraid of monsters because if anything the horror community has taught me that one <laughs> humans are the real monsters there's no such thing as real Mid fucking midian tits. represent yeah. Yep. Humans are the real monsters. <laughs> but not only that, it is a far more scary concept now. Let me ask you this. You looked under <laughs> your bed, you saw the big starling monster. You'd probably drop dead instantly. 
But what's scarier than that is the fact that that probably could never, ever, 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 ever happen. 0.01% chance. However, depending on where you live in America, your odds are increased that you could look under your bed and find Willem Dafoe or Gary Busey. <laughs> now, how would you like to find that under your bed? I how about Willem, Willem Dafoe with a grease-covered Dane DeVito on a leash? How about that? <laughs> Oof. That sounds like a good Friday night to me. <laughs> Gary Busey. <laughs> Gary Busey under your bed. Hey, have you seen God yet? You want to? You want to? <laughs> Good God, Gary, no. I just got my license to practice medicine from a Navajo Indian. Hey, Cameron, or, you still hey, feeling good about that framework? <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was. For a little while, anyway. Oh, shit. All okay. right. That being said, guys, ready for the next question? Yes. Ready. All right. This is uh, going to be kind of a, a strange one because I got I got two more questions left, and then I have like a little uh, Rucker Howard qu- questionnaire for you guys at the end. Mm. Okay, next next question is, what is your favorite aspect of the film? Whether it be the cinematography, the music, the acting, the writing, special effects, you know what have you. And uh, Eric, when you want to go ahead and take this one first, why not? Well, I'm going to have to pull it down to the writing. Um, like I said, well, the shots are good. Right? The shots are good in the movie. You know, they 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 really do a good job making it a dark dystopian look. The writing here is what is key because you can tell that whoever uh, wrote this really thought out like what they wanted to do as far as the serial killer was concerned. And even though meddling and another director came in for that third act and they made it a supernatural twist and it shouldn't make sense. The writing holds up the movie and tweaked it just enough to where we get this gem that should be a pile of shit, which is very fucking rare when it comes to meddling and trying to, you know, take somebody's vision and turn it into something else. You know, you got to be really good at doing that. And this is one of those rare gems. It doesn't get a lot of credit. So, but it, what makes it hold up is the is the writing. Yeah, good choice, good choice, sir. All right, Corey, what do you think, sir? Same question to you. Well, I have to say that uh, no matter what I say, it's going to be my second choice because the first one is just pretty much the idea of having your cake, eating it too, taking the other guy's cake, eating his too looking at that guy's cake and go, ooh, I think we eat that too. So it's like, you got the grizzled cop, the loose cannon. You've got the fucking creature. You've got the serial killer puzzler. Like, you've got, you got the betrayal of the, of the partner. You got the partner being part of the creature. You got multiple DNA. You got stealing of heart, but it still has, like, human capabilities. So it's kind of taking that whole idea of, like, Leviathan, and you've taken it to, like, the nth degree, because it's not like this mutant thing that can barely get around on its own power. It's fucking lethal and it's huge. But the second one that I would mention, because that that all that stuff is intrinsic, like with us even talking about it, we all like that. But with the second thing would be, I love all the little details that they went in to do that you don't even really get to see that well, but they took the time to make them. For instance, there are little like propaganda posters on the wall all over the place. 
And if you if you freeze frame it for a second, they're all really funny, and they're all really uh, them trying to kind of look into the future and see what's going on. Like the smog posters, there were a bunch that I couldn't the smog even really posters, read. There's a lot of ones about the rats about doing your part against the rat menace. Yeah, and uh, I think that they did that knowing full well that because this is this is kind of before the age, like you were talking about the difficulty of getting good VCS tapes and stuff, VHS tapes. Um, this is without a lot of the the nitpicking that we do now because everything's so available. So they're they're gonna do stuff, and they do it for the love of the thing. And you may not even see it. Like, it, let's say, you know, things didn't happen. Home video wasn't a thing. We never would have noticed those things were even there. But they still did that. And like the rah-rahs, I didn't know what the fuck they were until this one, until this viewing. I didn't know what he meant by that. Because in the past, not everything was like closed caption. I couldn't even tell what the fuck he said in the past. But now yeah. I know that he, that he was talking about that, that one thing. And I just love the idea and maybe, you know, maybe it's kind of like, you know, Necessity's Mother Dimension, or it was just something where they just didn't have time to make it explainable to the audience. When you have, like, rewrites all over the place, you have different parts coming in, different parts coming out. It's like, it, it's amazing that it's not incomprehensible. I mean, there are certain parts that don't need to be comprehended. Like, I love all the questions. Because we can just uh, conjecture into the fucking wobble yonder about what everything what the meaning of all this stuff is, what the creature really is, where it comes from, what the fuck's going on. But I like it that the, in the end product, it just, it does not patronize the fuck out of us. I think that they're totally okay with there being more questions than answers in this movie. And I love that. Right. I don't need to have everything because really when it comes down to it, i.e. the Wolverine fucking uh, origin storyline, where they're like, hey, this is where Wolverine comes from. All of his mystery is gone. He doesn't know his fucking past, but we do. Like, I love it so much that they don't necessarily have to say that the split-second creature is one thing or another. They don't know, and we don't know. And we never will know. So Yeah, it, it really does. It, it makes the aspect creepier because gives you that premise that your imagination is filling in the missing details and what you can imagine is far more creepier than what you can see it seems like people right now have to have every little fucking thing explained to them and it drives me nuts it's kind of like watching a modern day trailer you know anymore they they spell everything out for you they give you the beginning middle and the end and you you end up like getting stuff spoiled for you so heavily in modern day trailers you might as well just watch the trailer and not watch the movie because you're already watching the movie. Man, like, when I play like an old school trailer for part of my family, they don't know what to fucking make of it. There is so <laughs> little given away. They're like, what the fuck was that? And I was like, remember that question you just said a second ago? What the fuck was that? That's why we watch stuff. We wanted <laughs> to find out what the fuck it was. Exactly. Right? You don't uh, get trailers like you get anymore. Fucking that voice that you had in a world. In a world. <laughs> Where Harley yeah, Stone yeah. is hop up on chocolate and coffee. What man would we? What desire? <laughs> <laughs> that was in a good. world, in a world where Sylvester Stallone's Cobra fucked a xenomorph and put it in a, a submerged London and added astrology to the mix. Put a little bit of Warlock in there. You get this movie. 
we ripped off the Spider-Man franchise to make a Venom. Yeah, oh, that thing totally looked like Venom, I thought, but uh, <laughs> that's great. I, I actually think my favorite aspect of the film, and other than the, the fact that the story ends up comprehensive in the end, the fact that they that they rewrote the, the script three times, they had another director come in, there was studio meddling, and the fact that it ended up being any kind of cohesive storyline is a testament to good uh, screenwriting. But my favorite is probably the sound design and the musical choices. I think the soundtrack uh, by Francis oh. Barnes. Yeah, Francis Barnes I'm and glad Stephen you brought that Parsons. Up. Yeah, Francis Barnes and Stephen Parsons did a great soundtrack. The, the overall mood of the soundtrack is probably one of my favorite soundtracks from the 90s. And the songs that they chose, they, like the fact that they play Nights in White Satin by the Moody Blues like three times over the soundtrack is like the love song of the movie. I love Nights in White Satin. And I, I was going to ask you about that. Did they say anything in the commentary about that being a motif in that movie? Nope, not a thing. You would have thought so. They totally use it as a motif. And I, I was always like, because when I was younger, like uh, Nights in White Satin, like that was my go-to like romantic song. So when I saw that, I was like, are there lyrics in there that are making a connection? And I I was hoping that, okay. No, no, no such connection. The one, one that had a connection that they actually paid more money for this song than they did for the Moody Blues song was Cab Calloway's That Old Black Magic that plays over the end credits, which I thought was a nice touch. Just weird musical choices in this, from the weird, moody, sci-fi-ish soundtrack, and then you got the Moody Blues and Cab Calloway. It's and, you know, I think it makes for that happy ending. Like, somehow, somehow, this I mean, this guy's got this, like, really deep, astrological fucking satanic scar on his chest, and they're going boating, man. Yep. I mean, fuck. It's almost like the the Humphrey Bogart ending. Is, you know, he's given the, the voiceovers like Harley Stone and his trusty psychic Dick Durkin and his psychic friend are going off to another adventure. And it's just like, shut oh, wait up. Wait a second now. Wait a second now. It was awesome. He said, and his psychic sidekick, Dirk, Dirk, or Dick Durkin and his psychic sidekick, the psychic sidekick. That was so fucking awesome. Try saying that 10 times fast, right? I would, but, uh, you know, it's not yeah. New Year's Eve. But, yeah, I, I love the sound design and the musical choice. The sound design with the thing always, like, there's a heartbeat going over this, like, at least 50% of this movie. 50% of this movie, you hear a heartbeat over it. And you would think that would become annoying, you know, to have that constantly in your ear. But I think it plays out very, very well, and I love it. I, well, I, that I do... heartbeat only shows up in the soundtrack, too, when the killer's around. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's so really when you start, good. it's fucking great. And I think it's like, again, very underrated. The fact that, uh, you know, Tony Malum didn't direct a whole lot more, uh, you know, I guess, well, it's maybe very compelling. The heartbeat's very compelling. I, I think that that's why, like, they used to use drums on the battlefield and stuff. Like, I think that's why you get pumped about, like, if you're lifting weights and you listen to, to music, it gets you pumped up. Like, I, I think the heartbeat in the background, it becomes you connect it doesn't seem like an outside thing it seems like an inside thing it seems like it's like inside your body it's like an interior feeling well it's like obviously you know like at first like harley's the only person that hears this heartbeat you're hearing what he hears but then everybody else that becomes i guess you could say infected almost like the thing you know once they get touched by this like this creature 
they start hearing it. They hear it everywhere, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's would drive a, a, a sane man nuts. And I think it, it probably does drive a few of them bonkers. But anyway, that being said, I'm on to the, the last in depth question about this movie is uh, something we've already touched base on because, uh, We've talked about how certain things aren't answered in this movie, but I got to pose this question for you, and this is strictly an opinion only. But... What do you think the creature really was? What do you think this killer really was? Was it was it a devil? Was it a demon? Was it a person? Was it a conglomerate of all the other people's DNA? You know, what what do you think it was? And Corey, I'll let you take this one first. I think that um, because they said, I can't, remember, I can't remember what year they said it started, but when they were walking the beat together, it had already happened. They were already submerged, right? Yeah. I think that this might have been a, a a deep sea. I think this may have been like a primordial. Uh, I mean, I, I hate to use it because it's so overused, but maybe like a Lovecraftian thing. I think it may have been like one of the old, the old forgotten creatures that lived on the earth when uh, when the land wasn't vomited up and I think that it, it it uses I think that it used uh, pieces of other things to survive. It became part of other things for eons and eons to survive, and then it found like emotional resonance. It found desire. It found close quarters animosity, and it just it was drawn to it like the pheromones coming off of like a dying animal. And once it found that it could experience parts of people, it just couldn't get enough. And I honestly think that Foster was uh, inherently a powerful sort of subject because he had friendship, he had betrayal, he had, you know, the constant experience of death, the constant experience of crime, of wronged things. And I think that it saw pain and it wanted it wanted to eat it. It wanted to have it. I wondered for a long time if this thing had so much of Foster, because you would have thought that he would have fucking beheaded Stone on, on sight, but he doesn't. I keep saying he, but the creature doesn't do it all right away. And it gives that kind of nemes uh, nemesis quality. It actually, it doesn't remind me of The Last Man on Earth, but it's kind of like that thing where Vincent Price sees, sees his friend and his friend is sort of like the enemy. Right, right. The, the one that keeps screaming his name. So it's like this guy, it's kind of like that thin love, line between love and hate. But you don't know if this is actually, if Foster is the predominant personality in this thing. So you don't know if there's like retribution or revenge operating because he taunts Stone in particular so often. So you don't know if, if there's agency from Foster or if this thing is just plucking through his memories and using him as a linchpin to, to do what he does. That's another unanswered question, but it makes me wonder, you know, if everything's submerged and all of a sudden an aquatic demon from beyond the stars 
you know, comes out of it. Ah, damn, you opened that thing up for me. The floodgates are wide open now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Eric, your turn. What what do you what do you think the creature in a split second was? Honestly, I like the fact that we don't know what it is. But if I had to guess based on the lore that we get in the movie and the knowledge that they uncover, which seems to be true, which tracks it down in the end. I would definitely say it's some sort of water demon, uh, based on, uh, its symbol and its map. And I think that it likes to toy with its victims a little bit before it kills them and takes them to carry them off. And, I think in particular, it really likes playing with stone, and that's why it's kept him around so long, because it's going to torment him to the point where, you know, he's probably going to taste the best after he watches everything Ooh, I that like he that. loves. Everything like he loves is taken away from him one by one. First it was Foster. Then it was, you know, it's going to be his next partner and Michelle and he's going to toy with him constantly until the point where he's done or bored and no longer wants to toy with him and he's going to eat him. Well, as they say, fear makes the meat taste better, you know, <laughs> which is also the basis for a film that I'm writing. So man, what that fucking uh, stick in the there. Fear and suffering, as the French say. That's yeah. why they stuff goose with bread until they pop. Then choke them well, to death. Jesus. Well, that just got Fogger fucking off. dark real quick. <laughs> That was fucking bad, but uh, <laughs> but, but it, it didn't it didn't really like lead anywhere because I think the movie moves along at such a brisk pace, is very well paced and moves very quickly. Oh god damn! I was so surprised to, that it was to linger. It was an that. hour and a half. When I saw it yeah, was an hour and a half, I was like, Jesus, that was fast. Yeah, it seems yeah. like it's such a longer movie than it really is. It just covers such ground so fast that you think it's longer. But as for me, I don't know what the creature is to to this day. I don't know. I, I like Corey. I like your idea that it could be, a, you know, an elder god. I like I like your idea, Eric, that it could be a, an aquatic demon. You know, I, I like the fact that that we don't ever really know. It just uh, it's it's nothing like Phantasm, but it's a lot like Phantasm in the same respect that it poses a lot more questions than we get answers. And I like that. That's why I would like to had several more of these movies to just to explain because they do leave it on a note when those little bubbles come up out of the ring of light you know the the bubbles of air through the water and that surface that starts rippling it's like you know there's something else down there but you never know what it is you know it's been kind of forgotten by most uh i i think it's gotten to be quite a big cult hit in recent years because God, there's been uh, a version put out by 88 Films. There's been another Blu-ray put out 
by NVD, which is really the most comprehensive uh, version of the movie that you can own, and I highly recommend it to you people. You can get it for about 25 bucks uh, on uh, Amazon on, from NVD Rewind. So I would highly recommend it. And if anybody is listening hasn't bought it, well, I don't know why you uh, waited so long. It's been available for the last couple of years. Get it. Get it. Uh, it's like this movie. Speaking of, speaking of movies where you don't know who you're fucking with, I mean, they... they they don't know what they're fucking with. It is a demon. Is it an alien? Is, is it a, the thing? Is it uh, an elder god? Is it venom? I mean, we don't fucking know. It's thirty years later, and we're still discussing it here on this podcast. Still haven't got a clue. You think, sure been been like alli- you think it could have been one of the alligator babies that was flushed down the toilet, and then it just kind of. It might have been a chud. There you go. Cannibal it. Just to oh shit. One of the fucking chud monsters fucked the fucking Lake Placid babies. It didn't just fuck them. It face fucked them. You better fucking... You, somebody go check Betty Wife's say, uh, safe, man. She probably was feeding that thing. <laughs> you don't shit. Like, oh, you don't like my acting, do you, Billy? <laughs> Let me meet my friend down in the London sewers. Whoa. <laughs> Oh shit! All right, all right. Back on track. Back on track. <laughs> Donate to the ASPC. <laughs> last que- last question for you, you guys. This is more of the straightforward uh, question. I'm going to ask you to give your your brief summary, your your final summary of the film, your final final notes, and the rating on a scale from one to ten, as we usually do. And um, you know, Eric, you want to go ahead and take this one first. Oh, Jesus, this is going to be an easy one. <laughs> oh, this movie uh, hits, like, so many fucking classic things. It's, first and foremost, it borrows from everything from the Terminator, RoboCop, fucking Lethal Weapon, every friggin' buddy cop movie, Dirty Harry. The list can go on and on of everything. that you, if you If you look at the tropes this movie provides for you, it, it's just a plethora that just keeps giving and giving and giving. But it's something that shouldn't work because of all the heavy tropes, yet somehow it does. (laughs) It's either complete and pure charismatic luck or pure genius, and I'm not sure which it is. Um, Studio studio meddling should have made it worse because what started out as really good writing and a really good script got meddled with and tweaked and poured out to the point where... It was no longer what it once was, um, but yet still shined like a diamond in the rough. Uh, kind of like Pamela Anderson. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, oh, <yeah>. bing. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, it, speaking it, of it things really... that shouldn't work, but they do. <laughs> yes, yeah, oh, baby. Uh, you are correct, sir. <laughs> Not even Christopher Lloyd could save that fucking show she was in about being a librarian or bookseller. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, but all jokes aside. You you uh, will believe that Pamela Anderson can read. Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, like I said, all jokes aside. <laughs> No. Um threw me off my game, Corey. Right. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's well worth it. That joke was 
that joke was worth the price of admission. <laughs> Buck 40, sir. Uh, now, what shouldn't work does, and it, it's very rare and few and far between. This thing should have been Ghostbusters 2016, but it's not. How? Nobody really knows. Maybe it's Rutger Hauer saving it. Maybe it's the supporting actors that are good. Maybe it's the writing. Maybe it's just an all-around fucking popcorn movie that you really don't have to think about all that much. But when you do, you can get into the nuggets and the nougat of something that is really good all through and through. Like I said, <laughs> I don't have to give this. Everybody here should know what my rating is. It's going to be in the top ten because, like I said, one, it strikes home for me from memories of my dad and the fact that we friggin' we wore out the tape so much we had to go and get another one just to fucking make a new copy of it. And to this day, it's something that if I'm friggin' meddling around the house and I want to watch something and I don't really in that mood of I don't know what I want to watch, it's it's down to split second or the big Lebowski. What a combination. That's a hella combination, sir. Yeah. So it's a 10 out of 10 for you. Automatically a 10 out of 10. Right on, right on. All right, Corey, you're up up the bat next. Well, I have to say that um, with Split Second, just like he was saying, there are so many elements taken from so many places. You look at Rucker Howard's performance, and it could, if he had a, if he would have laughed it off, it would have been one thing. He doesn't take it too seriously, but he has, it's a labor of love. He's not laughing at it, but he's not so serious as a heart attack either. He puts his all into all of it. He doesn't phone a goddamn second of this movie in. And if you'd have put, and like I was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking about who I would have said as Dick Durkin. Dick Durkin, I don't know what uh, the actor's career is other than this, but somehow his delivery, because I think you could have delivered that guy in a bunch of different ways. You could have delivered him as the accountant. You could have delivered him as the buy the books, absolutely buy the books until your back breaks. But I think that he was accepting of Stone. He wasn't constantly bitching Stone out, talking about his bad habits. When he mentions about his habits kind of being bad for his health. I think Durkin's doing it from a place of friendship. I don't think he's trying to talk him down or fuck with him. He never, it seems like he, he rarely ever judges stone on anything he's doing. It seems like he accepts to him like whole cloth, even though he's not being accepted at first. It almost as if doesn't believe him. It's almost as if Durkin knows that there's a lot of due to his, like his uh, smarts and his learning he knows that a lot of what Stone is putting off is a facade. I think that he can smell the heart inside this guy. And that's one of the reasons why he keeps going with him. I think that the relationship with the, between those two is vital to this movie being different. Because, like I said, I saw it on HBO. There are 10 trillion movies that came on late, late night on HBO about a, a cop that breaks the rules. And the chief doesn't know what to fucking do with them. And he can't quite keep a woman because he's so fucking going off half cocked, no pun intended, and <laughs> all these different things. Uh, and, and you got it could have just been a serial killer story, but it wasn't. 
It could have just been the astrological uh, cult killer story, but it wasn't. It could have been like the genetic malformation creature, but it wasn't. Like, it's everything all at once, and it's such a fucking crazy quilt. So if you put any lesser people in there, like I was thinking, if, so, if for some reason Tom Hanks would have played Dick Durkin, it never would have worked. If Tom Berenger would have played Harley Stone, it never would have worked. Oh, There's no. something about the way everybody gave a fuck. And then, you you know, you look at the, the group of people who are here, you cannot scoff at Alan Armstrong or Pete Postlewaite. Those guys have had a gigantic run at it. And it's almost safe to say that they're in kind of a higher echelon than Rucker Hauer is critically. To see them in this movie is just, it's fucking insane. The level of, uh, of quality in that film. Especially when you can, you know, you can tell that some of the, you can tell that they built some rooms, that they built some hallways. They don't necessarily look great. They look like they're kind of cobbled together. The love of this is what keeps this movie together. Everybody gave a fuck. Like, you know, all the studio meddling, the different screenplay, the rewrites, the last, the, the, the third of the movie getting by, like, helmed by someone completely different. That never would have worked if everybody wanted out. They all wanted to stay in. They loved the story. They loved the characters. And I, I think that it really worked. You believe there's so much shit that you believe. You believe the unbelievable. You don't discount all the unanswered questions. You're curious, but it doesn't take you out of the story because the people matter. It all fucking works. Mm -hmm. And it is a miracle. This movie is a miracle for sure. Um, I think that I do have a, I kind of, I don't dig the, the, um, the negative connotation of nostalgia that's been kind of batted around lately. People think that you make a decision sheerly due to nostalgia and there's no value attached. I think that that is a major disservice to Eric and to other people because there are major league good feelings powerful, poignant things that go along with shit that you remember fondly from your childhood and from other days. And you're remembering this movie for a reason. It's not, uh, it didn't just tickle your fancy in the middle of the night, like some $3 a week Amish rumspring a hooker that came off the fucking gas station. <laughs> this, this is, hey man, my favorite time of, of the year. Uh, but <laughs> churn that fucking butter. That uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that, like that people care too. because I mean there are, there are movies that you like, but you're not going to tell every single person on the fucking earth about them. So I think that there's things about this movie where you know that it was an underdog. It was fighting for for life. And uh, yeah, I tell everybody I, about this movie. I try to tell everybody oh, that yeah. listen, and even some of those who won't listen. Yeah, it's this phantasm, even, and John dies at the end. I can't uh, even. Oh my god! I tell you, man. One of these days, I would love to have like an in-depth analysis of, of Don Coscarelli in like a gigantic thing. I still believe that 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 guy is an amalgam, kind of like Shakespeare. Like Don Coscarelli is not one man; it's a bunch of different people. But I, I, I'm not going to get on that topic right now. But um, <laughs> I can't. I don't think in my heart of hearts I can give this a ten. If we're talking critically, I don't know. If I, I can give it a ten. I give it a 10 as to the way I feel about it. I think that this is a movie that you feel about. I think you can talk about 
different things, pitfalls, promise. You can, you can talk about all the good things, all the bad things, all the good things that became bad, all the bad things that didn't quite work, um, or the good things that didn't quite work, rather. But I, I think that this is a movie about how you feel about it. I, what I, the way I feel about it is 11 out of 10. If I'm talking critically, it'd probably be more like an 8.5. Okay. But I have to say, when you can see, when you finally see the, uh, I almost said the alien, when you finally see the, uh, the split second creature up close, it does not disappoint me. The, the hand coming up over his face, it's not something, oh, that looks like a rubbery hand. Somebody, that fucking thing looks like it can scratch you. Yeah, it looked like it it, it's legit. like it, one good swipe to take your face right off. It's, it's sleek as a fucking bullet. Uh, and at one point, it kind of backs up, and you can see like its face front on a little better. And it almost looks as if it's got this kind of like carapace, like visor, like an insect, like over where its eyes should be and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. it's, it is not boring. It's not old hat. You don't see it that often. And that was a great move. Um, and it, nothing about this movie disappoints me. So, I mean, that's, I have to say, in my heart of hearts, it's 10, 10 out of 10. I would say critically, I'd say 8.5 because there, there are a few things that just, I wish they would have been slightly, it's mostly kind of like the, the interior stuff that bothers me. But right, I right. think it's, it's something where you can tell that somebody built it. So that gives it something in the heart. So I have a lot of emotions about this movie. I could forgive that actually, because yeah, it does look like crappy build. But then again, it's supposed to be a dystopian future in 2008 where everything's gone to shit. They would have to rebuild quick when the city floated. Uh, you know what, man, you know what? You just, you just knocked me up to a nine. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. I'll go for a nine. See, changing hearts and changing minds here in Cinema Degeneration, man. Look at that. You can have a conversation with somebody and not exactly have an opinion that agrees with them and still be friends. Imagine that, people. Wow. (laughs) In this day and age. Hey, hey, hey. Talk about real science fiction. Talk about real fucking science fiction right there. Uh, gosh, well, I guess it's my turn now. Um, well, I'll give my rating first. It's an obvious 10 out of 10 for me. This is my favorite Rucker Hauer movie. It checks all the right boxes for all the right reasons, sometimes for all the wrong reasons. It's a movie that by and large should not work. And for some reason it defies the odds and works on every level. I mean, it, it, it's Rooker Howard at his hammiest. Usually he was not a ham-fisted kind of actor. He was very smooth, suave, and elegant in most of the time. This was probably him at his most hammiest. This is him doing, you know, like what like what uh, Vincent Price did in Dr. Fives. He was just hamming it out all the way, straight away. Yes, but at least it's a Smithville ham and not that can shit you get at Aldi's. Yeah, yeah, it's not, oh, it's, snap. Not, it's not Preston formed ham. It's, it's not pink slime. Yeah, no, it is. This is definitely not pink slime. I love everything about it. I, I love the, the creature feature aspects of it. I love the action. Every little trope, every 
you know, 80s era, 90s era cop movie trope, you know, because let's face it, this movie is, a, you know, I wouldn't say it's police procedural, but it is a cop flick. It's a buddy cop flick through and through. It is every best bit of uh, Lethal Weapon and 48 Hours. It's yeah, It checks all the right boxes, every trope. It could should be called uh, Trope Second, yeah, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Because it's every little trope, every little bit, and never so much did it ever did a movie ever make me want to you know become a coffee in chocoholic, you know trope forming squad. tunes, trope squad. There you go. I, I just love this movie. I, I love everything about it. Uh, this is every bit of this movie is the chef's kiss. Now, does that mean it's the best movie of all time? Because I give it a ten out of ten. No, that's merely just my opinion. But I think that we we all pretty much uh, feel that way. We come up with two tens and a nine. I think that might be the highest rating I've gotten on a three way show that I've done in history. So uh, possible twenty nine out of uh, thirty. I think that uh, sh- shows where we're at. And now, if we're talking the Japanese cut, uh, that that thing is a seven and a half. Oh, <laughs> Whoa, damn! That really Jesus bottoms Christ. it out, man. That's a lot of running through water. Yeah, a lot of extra. Run, it has a lot of extra running through water and a whole extra character that they put in there that had no business being in there. So uh, that's what I'll uh, I'll say. It was just like when we did an episode on the thing. We did an episode on the thing, and I rated the rarely seen 1983 CBS TV cut, which they re-edited the movie. Put oh, a, put narration. I've seen into, that. Yeah, I put. They put narration into it. And and title cards and voiceovers and a different ending, which was just stupid. It, it, it ruins Bro, what the, the movie. Hell? I think I'd like, to, it, I think I'd like to see that just out of curiosity. Oh, it's, it's an abomination, dude. It's an abomination, but it's good to see, if anything, as just a fucking oddity. The the voiceover is is the worst voiceover of all <sighs> fucking time. You, you watch this you watch this thing for the train wreck that it is it's like a really bad car accident you know you shouldn't be staring and slowing the car down but you can't help but yeah it's kind of like george carlin said you know you want to you want to ask the police to bring the bodies over a little closer to the car all right Can you, oh that's a lot of charring Woo-hoo. <laughs> hey, could you bring the bodies over a little closer my wife has never seen a man shake quite like that before jesus but, yeah it's just <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a it's it, it was just bad, but not to get up on a tangent on the TV uh, cut of the thing because whew, I've already talked about that for a good half an hour on another show, and that now, was uh, the TV cut of Aliens. The TV cut of Aliens was impressive. I don't know that I've ever seen the TV cut. Now I've seen like the director's laserdisc cut that was like had all the, that sort of extra footage in it. That was pretty neat. Well, yeah, it was it was interesting because they actually picked good shit to put in there for the stuff they took out, there was a lot more of the daughter in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot more so, with her family. Right. All right. Now we got one bonus question for y'all and then I'll bid you guys both a fond farewell. All right. Now this uh, may Wait be a second. Wait a second. I thought there was like a whole, I thought you said there was like a whole record Howard questionnaire. Well, it's a two part question. Ah, okay. Okay. Now I got at that. It's, 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 it's a brief questionnaire. Because it might be very brief because one of the questions could be very easy. Uh, the question is, what is your favorite Rucker Hauer performance versus what is your favorite Rucker Hauer movie? And now, if it is split second, that's okay, and you can just pass the question along. 
But uh, if, if it's not, I'd like to explain which Rucker Hauer performance and movie is your favorite and why. Uh, Corey, I'll let you go ahead and take this one first. Um, I am bad at favorites. I very I find it very hard to say one a lot of times. But I'd have to say the one that comes to mind for me is Blind Fury. I think that Rucker Hauer showed what he could do with half of his face covered in that movie. And he, I think that he, I think that he showed a level of kindness. He showed a level of vulner. I mean, even though it's kind of like a feigned vulnerability, you very rarely see Rucker Hauer seem vulnerable in anything. When you see Rucker Hauer, one of the things that I noticed the most about him is that he's constantly touching people. You don't mm-hmm. like touch your face. Or I'll touch your ear. Like, you never know when that guy... I don't think you could ever feel comfortable around Rucker Hauer on a movie set. Because you honestly don't know what he's capable of. He might he might just grab your face. And, and you don't know if he's going to, like, pinch you. Or, like, throw you down. Or, like, you never know what he's going to do. He, he's, one of, he's one of those guys who really seems like he could go off at any moment. But he doesn't quite do that most of the time. Well, except in but this with, movie, uh, man, he body checks almost everybody ex- except in, this, in movie. this movie. Like he, how many times yeah, does he, he body really... slam poor Dick Durkin against the wall? How, I, I, I dare you to make a drinking game out of this and, <laughs> and try to take a shot every time he slams Dick Durkin into a wall. I honestly don't think I've ever seen Pete Postaway play such a dickhead in a movie. But um, I think that <laughs> I'm so good at it. Right. I honestly think uh, Blind Fury showed a depth of on-the-surface kindness and weakness that he rarely shows, along with this absolute dexterity. When he's looking off in the space, you buy it. Yeah, Bro, he, he, I don't, he totally feels like a blind guy in that movie. It doesn't and feel I like love, acting. It, you feel like he is really legit, legit, legitimate, le, uh, sorry, legitimately blind. And I almost think that he almost portrays emotion even more deeply and easily in that way than he does in other things. I think that that's the most hard on his sleeve in any uh, movie that I've ever seen him in. But the and action probably, scenes and it's probably are still most comedic up. at the most comedic at the same time. And the most comedic, and the most comedic, because in this movie he's very comedic. But in that movie, um, he can laugh, he can smile. Like he, I, it, it just, it gave it an ease that is rare for him. My very, very close second is Wanted Dead or Alive. I was, I, I would say I've probably seen Wanted Dead or Alive more than any Rucker Hauer movie I've ever seen, and he shows a lot of pain in that movie too. But, uh, but yeah, that's my answer, Blind Fury. Uh, Eric, you're next. Oh, I like it. Okay, good. Um, well, I'm gonna have to agree with him on that. My favorite movie is Blind Fury. Uh, with yeah, yeah. After you uh introduced that to me, Cameron, because that's one of the movies that I had a chance to miss out on, but it hit all the checked all the boxes for me. Like I said, one of the things that where I saw a lot of my movies was. Up all night on USA. And yes. <laughs> so you know shit like 
the heroic trio and the executioners and Wing Chun and Blind Fury, Kickboxer and all Lionheart and all those fucking kung fu movies. All the American Ninja movies. They strike that it checks all the boxes for my childhood. And so when you introduced me to that, it just instantly took me back to that time. So it's, you know, not a lot of movies do that for me. You know, they I'm not much of a nostalgia person. So when nostalgia hits, it's very few and far between. That fucking just instantly put me in my childhood. So it it just I was 12 years old again, sitting on the floor, watching that on a 13 inch TV, just fucking enamored. (laughs) Um, But my favorite performance is going to be an odd one. Have any of you gentlemen seen the 10th kingdom? Uh, No, I'm familiar with it. I haven't seen it. It's very hokey and very playful ABC family movie. And Rutger Harris in it as the Huntsman. <laughs> and I was just like, "What?" Rutger was that kind of like that Dinotopia level, uh, Dinotopia level uh, size and special effects on that one? Uh, yeah, kind. I mean, it was it was TV effects. So. It, was a, it was a miniseries, yeah, like blurry wasn't it? stuff. It was a three part miniseries that had fucking uh, Ed O'Neill from uh, Married with Children and a bunch of other TV actors. And it was about a woman that gets caught up in a storybook land when she's from New York and she visits the 10th kingdom. And it shouldn't be like, it It doesn't, it shouldn't be funny. It should be really stupid and cheesy, but it actually turns out being a pretty decent miniseries because of the jokes and the humor behind it, you know? So it's, it's, it's decent. And when I found out that regular horror was the huntsman, I was just like, oh, okay. And he does a really good job of being the Huntsman. It's believable. That sounds like a great uh, role for him, like Ladyhawk style. Oh, I forgot about Ladyhawk, too. Damn it. I oh, See? I have to be second so favorite, many, huh? Definitely have to be second favorite. I, I <laughs> God, man. Can't believe I blinked out on Ladyhawk. Wow. Sometimes yeah, like said, with, with somebody... It's, it's, it's Rutger Hauer, man. Everything that he's in, I love, man. It's just, it's something about him. I don't, he's, he's got the it factor. It's that Cajun thing where, like, you think you've got everything in mind that he's done, but he's so damn prolific that something else comes up. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's just, he's so hard to peg down. It's like, the Hitcher's another one. It's like, how do you choose what your favorite performance and movie is with him when he's so damn good in everything that he's in and every performance he, the man, you know, there are just actors out there. I call performance guaranteed. Yeah. Performance guaranteed. Exactly. He's like Vincent price, man. He's got the it factor. And when you hire him, you know, you're going to get quality. I've never done a movie with Rutger Hauer, but I'm sure he can really boil an egg. <laughs> uh, can you imagine a world where Rucker Howard played Egghead? That would oh be interesting. God. That'd be interesting. All of a sudden, yeah. I was thinking of uh, Rucker Howard. How great it would! I don't know what how you guys feel about Dead Heat, but I love that movie. Oh, I love uh, Dead Heat. Dead Heat's good. But how doesn't it seem like Rucker Howard could have like kicked the door in and been like, "Who's in charge here?" Like it just seems like <laughs> yeah, uh, for real, right? 
Uh, he would have been great in that movie. And since I've already posted uh, posed this question on all the other Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month uh, uh, shows, I'll just quickly say, of course, favorite movie, split second, favorite performance is The Hitcher. I don't, I don't think Rucker Hauer was ever more any more chilling or creepy or suave at the same time as he was as John Ryder in The Hitcher. Uh, it's still the reason why to this day I will not pitch up pick up hitchhikers no way i don't care how it need and or how much help you need i don't care if you got a car broken down and you got a baby you need to get out of the rain i'm not picking you up I'm not picking you up don't get a, a baby that's a fucking football wrapped in a blanket fuck off lady right right <laughs> yeah like I, i've seen how this goes once too many times i've seen pornos that start like this but i've seen more horror movies that start out <laughs> like this too doesn't um, he seem otherworldly in that movie He's almost got an ethereal quality to him. Like he's on a different yeah, planet. Yeah, man. He's playing with a whole different yeah. deck of cards. Almost like right. he's like he's a trickster. Like he's like the tri- trickster god of the desert or something. Right, we're all sitting down at the table to play poker, and this motherfucker's dealing with a euchre deck. <laughs> <laughs> he's got circular <coughs> cards. Oh, oh Jesus Christ! This is from a mix and match game. Why is this guy who's got a fucking Uno deck and we're playing poker? No, have no. you seen a Dose deck? A Dose deck? Yeah, they they have another game called Dose, believe it or not. No, I've not seen that. I, I've seen it, but I've never picked it up because it's like, whatever, Uno. I'm not going to pick up Dose, too. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy brought it into the living room the other day, and I was like, the power of Christ compels you! <laughs> fucking... <laughs> There are two games that have abandoned this house, and it's Uno and fucking Monopoly because they both start fucking fights. <laughs> right. Me and my wife, me and my wife can play Uno because we're civilized, but no one's, we're we're not taking it to the third and fourth players, man. That's how fist fights break out. That's how people Uno don't get attack, invited baby. back to the people don't get invited back for Christmas dinner. Right, draw four. Fuck you, draw eight. Fuck you, draw twelve. Son of a bitch. Fuck you and everybody that looks like you. Whatever, pick up your twelve cards, I'm, Gary. I'm still designing a. Uh, I'm still designing a a three level Scrabble board. A three level? That would be fucked up, man. Where you can make <laughs> words like across, like down through the thing, and diagonal, and all kinds of shit. Oh, that's that that that's how you fucking end relationships and marriages and friendships. <laughs> right. Oh shit. Well, that being said, guys. I'm hitting the end of my rope here. I think it's time to draw this one to a close. I'm uh, running out of steam here, as I'm sure you gentlemen are too. God, it's, it's about one o'clock in the morning here, so I'm I'm in I'm the run- pocket. Yeah, I'm running on the steam of steam. But I definitely, definitely want to thank the two of you for coming on the show. I think this is a great time. It's one of the more fun times I had between this and the Hobo of the Shotgun. Uh, show i think doing these roundtable discussions are fun i might actually try to do more of these uh in the future but uh it was a fun time i, I thought it was a good idea to, to put the three of us together and yeah it, 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 it did not disappoint so i want to thank the two of you uh for coming on the oh, show man. as always all mine yeah, this is a really fun night yeah i hope we can do this again you know i know it's a kind of a late night for the for eric and i but uh i know for you uh cory this is pretty much a and every day, five day a week thing for you. Oh yeah, I'm I'm good. I've, you guys have got me real pumped. Like I'm probably gonna have to kind of power down. I'm so I'm jazzed right now. I could I could go another couple of hours probably. 
Get get yourself a nice cup of chamomile tea, sir. The sleepiest of okay. all teas. <laughs> uh, but all jokes, aside, all jokes aside, I want to thank the two of you for coming on. It's been a blast. It's been a gas. I've had a great time. I'm all sad to see it uh, come to an end. But, you know, I, I think you've lit a fire under my ass. We may have to do... Just a solo Darkman show. I was going to wait and maybe do a, a, a Sam Raimi appreciation month, but I mean, I want to wait that long. Oh, just... oh, fuck it. If we're going to do Darkman and it's going to be the three of us, why not make it a triple threat and do the whole fucking series? Uh, I was going to mention that. I was going to mention that, actually. But yeah, we can do that. We can make we can do it for the sequel to Deja Vu show and we'll just do all yeah, three just, all at the just same do time. Them all, just fucking bat them out of the park all at once. Fucking. My Make God! It a super show. We'll do real <laughs> Dark Man and then pseudo fake what? Dark Man two and three. Hey, you know what? I will. I will give credit where credit's due. Dark Man one is Chef's Kiss masterpiece. Dark Man two, nah, yeah, it's all right. Dark Man three, what a turd! <laughs> <laughs> what a turd! Same master for two. Dark Man which three. sucks. I What's love that? the introduction of the uh, the tunnel car, the tunnel cycle, or whatever you call it. Right? It's got movie I like movie. that. And you know what? I think that's why, you know what? Oh, have you, are you still recording this, Cam? Yep, still recording. This is one thing that you should put towards more of the end of the show that we're thinking. One of these things that I just thought about, it just hit me. The reason why fucking split second hits with us so much. Think about this, guys. I'm pretty sure you strike me as a comic book fan, too, Corey. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's got comic book movie written all over it. If I didn't know any better, you could tell me that they adapted this movie from a fucking comic book, and I would believe you 100%. That that never occurred to me, uh, but I totally agree. I couldn't agree more with that statement. It really does. It really does. Yeah, it, it's, all, it's totally a comic book movie, and... Would have loved to see a comic book made out of it. That would have been. Yeah, I think that's what I think that's what makes this movie so good is that it hits all the fucking comic book levels. You don't need everything explained to you. You have everything that you need in the storyline, and you can make up the rest on your own. Like the whole uh, premise that Corey brought up with the Wolverine shit. You don't need to know every damn thing. Yeah, I don't care. I totally agree. <laughs> Give Actually, me a good storyline. Kind of Give me something that never I can. Give me some good storyline with something I can sink my teeth into and give me a good fucking time for a minute that I'm buying this. And that's what it is. It's a fucking it's a visual comic book. It's a good way of putting it. And it stars Venom. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Special issue, bitches. There you go. <laughs> Special edition. Oh, fuck. Uh, actually, you know what? I do want to enter. Sorry, I want to interject one more thing. Now, my, my brain is cooking now. Yeah, I so think that I I found the uh, the triple bubble at the end slightly. I thought that was a little ham fisted because it did it three times. Like, I just I think if they had done it once, that would have been sufficient. But I think better than the that to happen would be if like they would have shown them kind of like making it home. And those two are sort of like relaxing on the couch together or something. And then she, or then he hears the heartbeat, but it's not the monster; it's her. He hears her Ooh. heartbeat. Where like it passed something on to her. I think that would have been more effective than the bubbles. 
Yeah. And then Char- turns and looks at her and her fingernails start growing and he's like, Ugh! You know? it's like a, it's like that. Thr- it's like that thriller moment. They're like walking down the hall. She turns around with yellow fucking eyes. Yeah. Oh, dude. I like to well, cut of your jib. <laughs> Here's a deep thought though. When you pull something that's been deeply submerged, it don't just bubble up once when it's coming up from a deep submersion. It bubbles up four or five times. So something coming down from the deep, deep water is coming up to the wait, surface. Are you, wait, wait a second. Wait, so are you saying that there was a secondary one? I thought that was supposed to mean that it was coming back to life. It it could be coming back to life. It could be a secondary one. It could be more of because these things Because now that you coming. say that. Um, well, now think that you about say this. That. If, it's a, if it's an agent of fucking Satan... And, you know, the powers of darkness that be, if it sent one up, depending on how many, you know, Satan's supposed to have all these demons and souls, you could just send another one up. Okay, so now that you said that about uh, coming up, I know exactly what you mean, and I totally agree. I had thought that was it breathing, but what you're saying is, is that something else is coming up from below. That makes it much, much better, thinking of it that way. And also, another thing occurred to me. What if it's like Samael and, and Hellboy, where you kill one and two come back in its place? Right? It's oh, like shit. the fucking Hydra. You cut off one head and two come up. <laughs> like, oh, <Yeah>. shit! <laughs> we just made things exponentially yeah. worse. And Eric, Eric is totally, like, making things better for me. He's totally making things better for me. Like, what? yeah, I never thought for a second that was another one uh, re-emer- or emerging. I thought that was just it breathing again. Thinking of it emerging, that looks totally like what he's talking about rather than breathing. So that makes that part so much better for me instantly. Yeah, I think you just blew my mind because I never thought that it was another one of those things coming up. I thought it was the thing coming back, but well, like I said, it know. could be the thing coming back. It could be. It could be just me reading too much into it. I just one of those things that I thought of when he mentioned, well, it comes and bubbles up three times. I was like, well, when something submerges from the deep, when the bubbles start to pull up from the surface because it's pulling air out of the water as it surfaces, it's going to bubble more than once or twice. <laughs> so. It means something from the deep water is coming up. Something just occurred to me. I mean, it could have sunk down into a deep, deep ravine as it died, and it's starting to come back and reanimate to life, or it it could be another one. Could be another, yeah, it fucking didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, I'm a demon, dude. That didn't do shit. Maybe we're having all these these revelations because... There are three of us. We're a triangle. <gasps> no shit. Well, I hope we're not inside a fucking oh! water symbol. <laughs> is, is anybody inside a symbol of Scorpio right now? If not, I think we're good. 
Is it the fifth year, seven year uh, cycle? Uh, I'm a Capricorn, goat, goatfish, all the way, mutant, mutant I'm, sign. I'm a Cancer, the sign of the crab, which is the absolutely worst sign of the world. Cancer and a crab. Like, what could be worse? I'm a Leo and a. Uh, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm a snake. I'm a, I'm a good fish and a snake. I'm a kung fu fucking legend. I am the lion monkey. I thought you were gonna. For a second, I thought you were gonna say you were the lizard king, but that's okay too. No, I'm not the lizard king. I'm not a pretentious douchebag who thinks his poetry is good and is just. Oh! the dancer high off my ass. Oh, God shit. damn. Shots you know fired. what I just saw in my head? I saw that fucking that bust in France just crack. I just saw a crack <laughs> forming that bust. That was uh, awesome. That was great, sir. All right, guys, we're gonna call this one an end of the festivities. <laughs> I want to thank you again uh, for making this a fun night. I wish we could do these in person. They'd be so much better and share a couple of beers or something uh, over things. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad we at least have this forum. But, folks, I want to thank you at home for listening. We've been jibber-jabbering on for about two and a half hours now, uh, probably in cut-down time by the time we're down to it, about split second. And you have been listening to Rucker Hauer Appreciation Month on Cinema G-Generation, where we have seen the future and we're going to need bigger guns. A3, high-powered, semi-automatic. Something bigger. What? Does the chief know you're down here? We need big gun. Yeah. Big, big fucking gun. What the hell's he on? Chocolate. Chocolate? I want grenade launcher. Right. Calico hypercrafty 9mm helical mag. Right. SA80. Ah, that's it's too fucking small. Wow. Yeah. No, that's an assault shotgun. Fully automatic. Yeah. Listen, that is 650 rounds a minute. Yeah? Yeah. What do you need to shoot for? Hey, what the fuck is this thing you're after? A Sherman tank? No. What? No, no. That's a Megatron flash grenade. You could clear the jungle with one of these things. Yeah. 